Hello and a massive welcome to the Falling Star Wrestling Podcast. In today's show, we address the missing Jimmy Star from the Big Top Wrestling Show, which went down in halt on Saturday. As always, I'm your host for the podcast. My name is Patrick Vincent Crown, also known as PVC. In my corner, as per usual, waiting for the hot tag, is the one and only legendary Jimmy Starr. Today, I run through the Big Top Wrestling show in its entirety and how my match went tagging alongside somebody else instead of Jimmy. We also get into what it's like wrestling new guys in the business and how to truly make a connection with the fans in the audience. If you've yet to become a subscriber to the Falling Star Wrestling Podcast, now is your best chance. We're available to listen on Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. Quickly, before we jump into the show, Falling Star Wrestling, we'll be back in action for our final show of the year, the end-of-year Falling Star Wrestling Christmas Bash. Fun, laughter, and festivities are guaranteed, as well as our end-of-year awards and a few special matches already planned. For now, though, it's time to jump into the show chatting about BTW's November to Remember with Jimmy Starr. Ladies and gents, we were back for Big Top Wrestling in Holt on Saturday, 27th of November. It was a sold-out crowd in Norfolk, and the fans were there red-hot, ready for some live wrestling action. There were five matches, two and a half of which I watched, and another of which I was involved with. Unfortunately, the billing was the disaster artists taking on the Streets of Rage in a rematch from West Lynn from about a month ago, but sadly, that match couldn't happen because of varying factors. First, one of the members of Streets of Rage has suffered a broken arm, so you know we wish him a speedy recovery and second jimmy my fellow disaster artist you also couldn't make the show how are you feeling now mate yeah well you know it's um my my shoulder's been bothering me for uh for quite some time it's uh one of those things that uh i've just tried to battle through and battle through it's just been getting worse and worse and basically uh every time i uh i, I rest or i keep my arm in a certain position uh, it freezes in that position. So I, I think you have to sort of pull my arm away from my body with my other arm and it lets out an almighty click, painful click. I've got some, some quite quite bad shoulder issues, which which have, which have been checked. I, I know what's going on. I know what it is. And I know what, um, what the deal is going forward, just to sort of agonise in pain of that. Um, I desperately want to be on the um, Christmas show. It's our, our Christmas show, obviously, the end of the year. It's a celebration with the Fallen Star Wrestling fans. I knew who you were up against. Um, I didn't know, obviously, that the um, the, the other lad that we that we wrestled from Streets of Rage had broke his arm. I didn't know that. You know, again, like you just, like you just said, my sentiments too. Speed recovery. I hope you get that soon. I knew you'd be okay. Obviously, Holt's a fantastic venue. I'd have loved to have been there. It's a case of not being able to, to wrestle for our Christmas show and, um, you know, trying to, trying to get a bit of rest and um, trying to, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if the Christmas show, it'll actually be any better, but I know I will be on that Christmas show because it's all in Star Wrestling. It means a lot to me to be there in front of uh, the crowd in that venue. I'd love to have been a uh, hold for Big Top Wrestling. I've wrestled for Big Top Wrestling before. Um, they're a great promotion, up-and-coming promotion. Um, and I'm glad that they did really well in terms of um, the number of punters. I heard that, you know, it was a really good crowd, standing room only, which is great. Holt's always been a great venue for the crowd, um, you know, and I know the venue's a lot sharper now and it looks a lot cooler. Um, so I was, you know, really pleased to hear it. And I heard it was a fantastic show and um, I wasn't there, you know. But like I say, I just took a, 
took a bit of time to heal. Obviously, we wrestled two weeks previous. I just thought maybe a little bit of rest would, would help. And I, I don't know if it has, but I do know that I will be at, by your side at, uh, at West Lynn against the uh, NLP in some form or fashion. I just hope that I'm not a hindrance here. I hope that uh, I can I can I can get something going, but yeah, just um, some quite quite severe shoulder problems at the moment. So yeah, I'm wishing you a very speedy recovery. I do need you there by my side on the 11th of December at West Lynn. You know, if you've only got one arm and you're on the on the corner there chanting my name, getting the crowd going for me, that's it's going to help you. Other than you not being there, because you know you you were sorely missed, unfortunately, Jimmy. So um, we'll we'll get into the show and we'll we'll get to the match in a second. Um, yeah, great crowd. Good venue, really well put together, really good vibe in the dressing room. You know, um, everyone's there to kind of have a, have a bit of fun. You know, when it's not a falling star wrestling show, everyone kind of like lets loose a little bit more, I think, and just kind of there's not that like pressure on everybody to to perform. You know, the likes of Furio and Jack were there. Obviously, they're they're on the shelf at the moment, so it was kind of nice to hang out with those. Uh, Furio was doing the music, which was interesting, kind of watching him do his thing, playing some odd tunes during the interval. But you know, it's really really cool just seeing kind of people just just be in that environment and and relaxing and stuff and beers backstage don't uh, hurt either as well so um anyway we'll uh, get on to the event match number one uh it was a number one contendership for the btw uh championship a triple threat match km lane versus cary gray versus the falling star wrestling limitless champion ricky knight jr now uh unfortunately i didn't get to see this i was in the dressing room backstage getting ready for my match but you know RKJ is amazing. I love Callie Gray. KM Lane is coming on leaps and bounds. He looks great. He's got a good look. He's got a great, you know, physique. His his gear is really, really good. And obviously Callie and, and Ricky Knight Jr., they can perform, you know, on, on their worst nights, they can perform awesomely. Uh, Ricky Knight Jr. grabs the win and moves on to wrestle Big Joe for the Big Top Wrestling title in a future event. I bet that was a fucking barnstormer. It's a shame you didn't see it. I bet that was great. KM Lane is, is you know, obviously the most inexperienced, but, you know, we've... Both, both seen him work and he's, he's still very good. Cali Gray is is Cali Gray. You can wrestle anyone, any style, in any way, and um, you know do a great job. And Ricky Knight Jr. at the moment is one of the best in the country, probably one of the best in the world at, um, at, at what he does. And yeah, I'd I'd love to have seen that one. That would have been would have been fantastic. I hope they recorded it in some form or fashion because uh, yeah, that'd be. It. Sure, that was a great opener. I bet they got the crowd pumped. Yeah, exactly. That they did exactly what they needed to do. Kind of got got the crowd warmed up, wet and wild, and. Um yeah, there was quite an interesting thing because obviously we were all backstage and, you know, the way the halt is set up, there's like a bit of a stage and that's where like the, the music is. And then there's a there's a door that goes through a little corridor and into another room. Uh, and at one point, somebody was just kind of hanging around in the door, you know, it was, it was getting towards showtime. And then somebody just comes in and goes, um, whose music is this? And uh, KM Lane's music had been playing for like a minute and people were waiting for him to go out. And nobody told us backstage that the show had actually started. We were ready to go. So we were like, oh, better get out of there. So that was a that was a kind of an interesting thing, um, but I don't think it hindered the match at all. Like everybody seemed really happy uh, when the guys came back. You know, there were smiles on faces. There was um, you know some red chests. There was uh, Cali Gray had a bit of a shiner. Ricky looked like he was smiling and you know, having just picked up the win. And um, yeah, we could hear the crowd from backstage. But um, of course, my focus was on our match, which was next match number two, the Streets of Rage 2.0, because uh, they had to sub in another guy versus the Disaster Artist version two because. I had to sub in somebody else. So I subbed in Bobby Adams for the injured Jimmy Starr. And uh, Bobby Adams helped me defeat our opponents, 
uh, consisting one half of the Streets of Rage, which was, um, I don't know if you remember, Jim, is the, the short guy with black hair and a black beard. Um, he was the one that was with us and um, he was there with another one of Lion Pro Wrestling's up and coming talents. I didn't properly get their names. I feel bad for that, but um, sorry, guys. But you remember that guy, right, Jim? Yeah, 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 I do. Yeah, yeah, no, I remember. Yeah, he was, um, yeah, I mean, that was, I think that was his second match, wasn't it? I mean, I think he was the one out of the two that wrestled when, when we worked. And um, so that, this would have been his, I don't know if he's wrestled since then, but this would have been his second match, I presume. I mean, for their first match, they they both did they both did pretty well. I mean, I haven't I haven't seen the footage. I've got the footage somewhere. Someone's given me the DVDs, but um, I've got a DVD player. That's the end of that one. But um, uh, it's we something that we can talk about after you you you've run through the show. You know, working sort of you know green guys and how to get through it. But um, but yeah, I mean, for for their for their first match when we wrestled them. Um, they did. Uh, they did. They did very well. I mean, you know, they worked the crowd, and yeah, it, it was much better than my first match. I can tell you that, fucker. But um, but yeah, how did they get on this time? How did they get on this this this, this, uh, this second round? Well, all things considered, obviously, you know, with their their inexperience and with me having to sub in Bobby Adams, and obviously Bobby, he's not really used to being uh, a babyface and tagging with me. He's obviously, you know, you're, you're using him at the moment uh, as a heel, so he's kind of working that sort of thing. So he he rose to the occasion, you know, he's very, very happy to be there and, you know, help out because, you know, originally wasn't booked on the show and, you know, that age-old adage of, you know, if you're going to go to a wrestling show, whether you're a worker or not, if you take your gear, there's always a possibility that you might be able to get on the show so that just happened to be the same way for Bobby Adams he turned up he had his gear you unfortunately had to back out so um yeah he was switched in at the last minute and yeah no major mess ups for the match and no injuries the crowd seemed to enjoy the match and uh it was very basic again like you know when wrestling green guys and we'll talk about it later on like keep the match as basic as possible because the 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 other guy that we didn't wrestle like this was his first match and you know you could kind of see that you know deer in the headlights kind of look in his eyes um but super nice guy like properly jacked like really really good physique like this guy if he keeps at it and keeps learning and keeps developing with with Aaron Sharp at the LPW Academy like this guy is going to go far like think of him as sort of like you know a British ultimate warrior he had that, that kind of physique that kind of look that kind of intensity in his eyes and very kind of not stiff in, in, in ways of like he's hitting you and he's hurting you but like stiff in a sense of like his body just looks very very rigid and you know if you know he's going to go in there and he's going to give you a slam it's going to look very impressive so I was really impressed with him but again it was like it was his first match he knows sort of the basics of wrestling but there was a lot of like terminology he didn't know there was a lot of sort of slang that we might have mentioned so you know in in terms of like you'd break down a match with people you've wrestled before you know you might use terms like heat or hot tag or you know going over or me getting my shine in you kind of have to strip that back even more and just kind of explain what those things are but like they did awesomely so um I guess kind of the the setup for the match was, you know, classic one in, one out tag team match. I start off the match. Um, I let them get up on me a little bit, you know, lock up and they just throw me to the ground. And I'm like, oh, God, right. These guys are strong again. You know, circle, circle, circle. I do my thing. What's my name? PVC lock up. He throws me down again. You know, he's, he's flexing his muscles and he's you know showing the crowd what he can do, which is really, really good. And of course, at this point, I have to sort of take a different step uh, in a different direction. So at that point, I. 
I try and match his strength. So I put my hands up as, as to do the, uh, you know, the kind of test of strength knuckle lock thing. Uh, and then he's kind of like laughing at me like, <laughs> you're not that strong. And then in his healiness, he goes, oh, I'm going to kick him. Goes to kick me. I grab the knee, swing his leg down, give him a knee to the face, buckle him in the corner and a big bulldog. And then I show out and obviously get the crowd going again. He powders out and then they tag out. And then it's very basic with Bobby and the other guy, you know, just kind of basic wrestling. They do the same thing again. Lock up. The guy takes him to the corner and real shows his strength. And then, you know, kind of does some healy stuff, you know, putting the, the forearm in the face. Again, they break up, lock up again. Power, power, power. Really getting these guys over, you know, not doing very much because I didn't want them to, to do anything crazy. I didn't want them to, you know, launch the guy or do gorilla press slams or, or power moves. I just wanted them to just lock up, make it look really stiff and solid and then just push us around and then us as baby faces have to think of a way around that and that was lots of kind of quick maneuvers and again Bobby he's trying to go for that sort of like technical wrestling thing so you know the guy goes to lock up he zips behind him gets in a waist lock headlock grabs the arm puts him to the floor gives him a little kick to the back kick to the front goes for the headlock grabs him back there you know just kind of controls him in sort of really really quick quick points and um, there tags me in we go to whip him in for a double team they both powder out and that's very similar to what we had in our match at uh, uh, Westland Jim, do you remember when they kind of powdered out and then one of them circled up behind us? So we did that thing again. Obviously, they were they were kind of used to that. We get attacked from behind. I get bundled out the ring, chucked into the ring post, and then Bobby Adams is uh, left in the ring to take the heat. He did really well. I was very impressed with Bobby and his selling and stuff. Like I think people genuinely wanted him to to tag me to get in. Um, we didn't really plan any kind of uh, sort of hope spots or anything like that because I just thought that might be a bit too kind of complicated. So all we did really, really was kind of plan in the... Um, the double downs, um, which was a really quite a nice little double down because Bobby started to do this move where he sort of he's on the outside and he kind of catapults himself through the the middle and top rope into a spear. So at that point, I was kind of on the side and I was using Jacob, the referee, to kind of call spots to the other guys, um, which I don't often do that much. And I just thought that but it was a kind of a cool thing for me to think about doing because I often don't think about that. I normally just sort of think, right, I hope they've got it. And I was like, right, these guys might not have it so I need to tell them somehow and I was like at one point I was like Jacob go tell this guy to do this right and then when it's come up to the hot tag I was like Jacob go to the other guy tell him two clotheslines you know throw one or hit him with a drop kick and that was that was a really good way of communicating because I'm obviously on the opposite side of the ring I can't just shout to the other guy and be like right we're gonna do this two clotheslines and blah blah you know oh, that I, kind I, of thing I, I do <laughs> <laughs> yeah I know you do but um, I didn't think it was uh, quite the time or the place but um, I just said to the other guy because yeah, the other guy on the other end who's going to take the hot tag and you know the you know the bump and feed stuff I just said right I'm going to be looking at you you know I'm going to be looking at you I'm going to come for you and all you need to do is just take a bump get up take another bump get up and then throw one at me you know I was looking in his eyes and I was thinking he's got this he's got this he's got this and and he did because um yeah at one point they buckle Bobby he's in the corner they come charging at him for a big splash he does that little Kofi Kingston style sort of flip out where you put your legs through the middle and top rope and then that's him on the outside there he's kind of still selling the guy hits the buckle feeds out to the middle of the ring Bobby launches himself in for the uh for the little spear there the both down and at that point you know obviously I'm I'm going crazy I'm stamping my foot I'm clapping my hands I'm trying to get everyone going you know that classic sort of tag me tag me tag me tag me tag me kind of thing boom hot tag I come in very very simple again you know hit him with a line hit him with a line I duck a clothesline give him a drop kick boom he goes to the corner 
big forearm in the corner. He walks out into a side effect. Boom. I get up, show out. And at this point, I'm sort of putting my hands up in, you know, kind of a victory pose. And I wanted um, the other guy who we wrestled to come up behind me and, and do kind of, you know, almost like a, a finisher mania type thing. So I just hit a big move there. I'm showing out. He comes up behind me, gets me in the full Nelson and then gives me the, you know, the sit out bubble bomb, which is really cool. Like not a lot of people use that move. And it's quite a, quite a natural way of getting into it because I already had my hands up. So he just kind of sneaks up behind me. Boom, boom. 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 And then at that point, Bobby was meant to hit the backstabber on him, but unfortunately he was facing the wrong way. So Bobby just ran in with a big old drop kick, which was great. He needed to do that. He didn't, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't kind of mess around trying to get into it. So he just nailed him with that. I nailed him with a forearm. And then um, me and Bobby came up with our own little um, double team for the finish. This was, um, uh, do you remember the the Eliminators in ECW? They used to do the high lows, the, the leg sweep. Yeah, and the, the leg sweep and like uh, a, a spinky. Yeah. yeah. So um, I did the claymore, and then Bobby did a did a sweep for the for the high low. We got the pin one two three, come out victorious, and it was a really really enjoyable match. Actually, you know, kind of nothing went wrong. It's very very basic, very simple. I think everybody was right, was really happy with it, especially the other guys. You know, for their first couple of matches, obviously Bobby was feeling out of his element, but I think he really enjoyed himself. You know, I actually got quite a good bit of feedback from like even like Bulk and and Dave and and CW. They even said like, <laughs> no offense, mate, we didn't expect much but you went out there and you kind of gave the crowd an entertaining match yeah it was simple but you got heat you know me as the veteran going out there and you know kind of getting the people involved getting them riled up and you know obviously Bobby being the more experienced person out of those other three you know using his selling and using his ability to kind of get sympathy you know the, the match worked out really well and I was I was really quite happy with it actually well maybe you should take with him from now on <laughs> Rather than the useless fucking has been Jimmy Starr, but no, no, I'm glad. I'm glad it went well actually, because I mean, you know, I, like I say, I, as, as fucked up as I was, I, I hate this show. This is something that, that I've rarely done in my nearly 20 year career. But I, I, I half thought they'd put him in because uh, I knew that he was there. I, I knew that he was um, fucking around with a van that wouldn't start before the uh, before the show more van problems but um yeah so I, I knew that he was there um and it's yeah it's a good opportunity for him like you know it's it's one of those deals where you know he's he's almost there and the thing that's going to get him there is just more matches more matches and more experience and you know I've, i'm using him as a heel but it's good if in, in other promotions he gets to play baby face it's good if he gets to you know learn the the the, the small nuances of, you know between you know, the, 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 the get over, you know, within your selling and stuff like that to actually get sympathy. And then the only way you can do that is by getting out there and, and, and doing it. So, yeah, and then, when you know, when he's a heel for me, the nuances of being a heel, you know, and, and it's it's a communication between the wrestler and the crowds. Yeah, it takes shows. It takes being out in front of people. It takes matches. And um, like I said, it's, it sounds like you did a great job of putting the match together. And, you know, like you say, keeping things basic, but yet, you know, fairly exciting, um, you know, with some cool little moves and some high spots for the, for the guys to, you know, Aaron's guys to, to remember. Um, I assume they were pretty chuffed with it. Sounds like you, you, you did a great job. Like you say, when you're, wrestling, when you're wrestling green guys, you know, keeping it simple is the fucking key. Because, again, one thing I worry about when wrestling green guys is, A, I want to get a good match. And how are we going to do this? Because I, I, you know, this is your first match, so it's not as if like I can even find any footage, or I, I, I know what you can do, or you know what you can do, even because you've you've not done it. 
So we've got to start completely from scratch here. And I want to put on an entertaining match, but I don't want to get hurt. And I don't want you to get hurt, you know, in a tag team match. None of us want to get hurt. So it's quite an art putting together that, you know, an entertaining match with, you know, two guys who, you know, one's wrestled twice and the other one is not, has never wrestled at all. Sounds like you, you, you know, you did well with the psychology. You put their, your opponent's like looks and their power into play. Um, it sounds like, you know, you gave uh, Bobby a chance to, to, to sell and get the, you know, and, and get some sympathy that way. Um, sounds like, you know, you obviously know what you're doing. So you can come in and bam, bam, bam. And if things are going a bit low or things are dipping, you can raise them again. You can raise the crowd up again. So, yeah, I mean, you know, second match um, on the card. Uh, sounds like you fucking did your job perfectly. Be, you know, if there's any footage, I'd love to see it. But, um, but no, I... Again, just apologise for not being there, but, you know, it sounds like it was cool anyway. I mean, once in a while, it's nice to kind of tag with, with different people and have that dynamic. Obviously, myself and, and Ed, we have, a, we have a nice kind of relationship backstage. We get on really well, so it's kind of nice to have that thing. And there's always a running joke between myself and, and Bobby Adams in a sense that his matches always seem to be on before our matches, so I never get to watch his matches and give feedback. So this is probably the most exposure he's got on the podcast, and that's tagging with me. So, um, and then there was a lot of like ribbing backstage in a sense of obviously, you know, Bobby Adams as a heel, as, as as somebody what you probably call a little bit like enhancement talent for Falling Star Wrestling. Like he managed to pick up a win and, you know, all he has to do is 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 suck up to the to the podcast host and 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 hope the boss <laughs> has a few more injuries and he can start tagging with the with a winning team. But obviously it's all well, it's all in jest. Well, you know. well, well, <laughs> Maybe after Christmas, but uh, no, I, I mean, it depends if I need surgery on this. Fucker, I don't know, but we'll see. We'll see what the deal is. If if I don't need surgery, fuck off. But if I do, uh, <laughs> then maybe you can be my replacement for a bit. I don't know, but uh, no. I mean, you know, the thing with with, with Bobby Adams is wrestling's getting better. You know, he, there's more intensity there. He's putting on better matches, but he still needs to be with more experienced guys to get that big crowd reaction. What he's got to work on, and you know, and I've said this to him, and you know, it's not a, it's, it's, it's you know, I don't think he'd mind me sharing. Is you know, he's obviously, um, he obviously sees himself as a certain type of wrestler, um, which is obviously like you say that very technical, uh, Dean Malenko s kind of kind of wrestler, you know, the sort of ice faced, um, you know, technical uh, shooter, sort of you know, I'll break your fucking arms and legs type wrestler, and that's you know, that's awesome. I think the mistake people make with Dean Malenko is that, like, he had no character. If you watch a Dean Malenko match, he's so full of character when he strikes and when he kicks and his face and the way that, you know, the anger and the fucking fierceness and the aggression, that's still there. He might walk to the ring stone-faced and might not get a huge reaction, but, you know, obviously he's called the Iceman in WCW or whatever, so people sort of got the fact that that thing, he was a calm, cool and collected until he got in the ring um, and he picked your body parts and, you know, he, he thought with malicious intent about how he was going to destroy it. But still, watch a Dean Malenko match, his facials in the ring and when he's taking and when he's selling and things like that, they're still huge, they're still big. It's not like he, it's not like he got away with having a, you know, having that sort of like, a, you know, stone face all through his matches. He still projected um, whatever he was, emotions he was trying to, you know, get out to the crowd. I think the mistake a lot of people make when they think, no, I just want to be this this hard fucking, you know, 
no nonsense, blah, 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 you know, rip them apart type, you know, wrestler. That's great. And that's awesome. And you can do that and that works. But that doesn't mean that you can get away with not emoting when you're in the ring, not selling big, not doing the moves big, not, you know, when you're being aggressive, when you're fucking punching someone in the head, not losing your temper and, you know, making some noise and vocals and stuff. You know, I think some people use it as a as a sort of a sort of template to sort of hide behind. It's a bit like, oh, I don't cut promos, I can't cut promos, so I'm gonna be, you know, like I don't, I'm not. Furio cuts awesome promos. You cut an awesome promo at Swanton Morley, but like you know, um, people who who sit there, and, oh, I can't cut. I'm, I'm a shit promo, so I'm gonna wear a mask or I'm gonna fucking be a be a silent character or I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that. Like you know, yeah, that's fair enough, but. You can't cut a promo at the moment, but still learn. Do you know what I mean? Still work on it whilst you're being this character. Get get this character over if you can. But if you've got weaknesses in wrestling, don't ignore them. Work on them, you know, until you're at least capable of whatever that weakness is. And then crack on with it. And I'm not saying anything bad there about Bobby Adams or, or anyone really. But what I'm saying is, is if you do have a particular weakness in wrestling, whether it be, you know, my weakness in wrestling is 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 fucking wrestling, really. Like these days, it's it, it's it's actually getting in the ring and, and my body failing me sometimes on things that I, I want to do. I've, I've actually got a bit, even though my shoulder's been fucked, I've been bumping a lot more recently and doing a lot more stuff um, than I have been over the years. Back in the day, I could do whatever. And as I'm getting older, you know, I'm having to think around injuries and things like that. So you have to wrestle wrestle smarter. So and that's, that's another thing as well. As you're career goes on your wrestling style is going to change no matter what it is as time goes on your wrestling style is going to change you know um and if you do rely a lot on physicality and bumping and shooting and all that stuff your body's going to start to fail you at some point so when it does you've got two choices you either change your style or you quit that's another thing as well you know you never keep one particular style throughout your whole career i mean even if you look at someone like Rey mysterio he never kept I mean, he, even though he's a Lucha Libre and, you know, I know he didn't have the master of the one WCW, but he was a Lucha Libre high flyer. I mean, he does fucking dick all now compared to what he used to do back when in the early Rey Mysterio and like WCW. Do you know what I mean? He could do absolutely anything. Now he can't, but he, we still believe he, he can because of his the way he emotes and he things he that can do, he does amazingly. And he does them in the right spots and at the right time. So everyone's style and everything changes. So you do have to be a bit of a jack of all trades in wrestling. I suppose my, my point going back to that in, in sort of thinking about Bobby Adams is that he's a really good hand and he's getting better all the time. Um, but whatever his weaknesses are, which is probably the just the, the vocals, really, just the vocals of, of getting the crowd going, you know, if he's working one-on-one, especially with someone who's not particularly experienced. If that was the case, I'm sure he'd have a great match, but and the crowd would be watching and enjoying it. Um, but the vocals and stuff might not be there. If that's something that he's not completely comfortable with, in the end, he's just got to fucking somehow, uh, in, at some point, get on board with it. We've all got weaknesses. There's stuff that we're all bad at. It's it's so varied. There's certain things that, that we can't do, but we have to at least try it and we have to at least try and be capable of the stuff we're not particularly good at. And then the stuff we are good at, push it and push it and push it until you can't push it anymore. And then 
go to the next thing you're good at. Because like, like I just said, I've said, said it a couple of times, but I'll say it one last time. Your style, if you wrestle for long enough, will change several times, guaranteed. Most definitely. Now, uh, match number three was the IPW Championship match, the Lion, Aaron Sharp versus Brett Semtex. Now, obviously, this came after our match, so I only saw sort of half to three quarters of the match, but the the, the parts I did see were magnificent. Now, uh, sort of, I guess, kind of pretext to these, this match, Brett is currently nursing sort of a legit knee injury. He picked that up in uh, Westlin when he wrestled RKJ, but this kind of played into the match and it was really, really, really effective. Brett, this was his kind of hometown crowd. He had a lot of people there to support him. You know, people cheering for him, jumping up, screaming, they had signs there. People were there to see Brett and they were very, very excited to see him, which really, really helped with the atmosphere because obviously we spoke about Brett before, like he's a very, very good athlete, but like showing out and that kind of crowd work, it didn't really matter here because he had the crowd no matter what he did, whether he just, you know, raised an arm or did a really cool move like he had them. He had them in the palm of his hands. Um, Aaron lent into this kind of the heel role ever slightly, but it was more of like that competition based sort of heel role. He wasn't going out then snarling and, you know, kind of taking Brett down and, you know, going after the knees. He was working on the body part, but he wasn't doing it in a kind of malicious way. It was a, it was a case of like, right. I've got my belt on the line. I need to win this. This guy is very capable. So that that was a really, really cool thing. Uh, there was a few moments during the match. Aaron was working the knee and then uh, he would dump Brett out of the ring and they would try and do that thing where, you know, Aaron wants him to stay down. It's like, bro, you're hurt. Like, stay outside the ring. You know, there's no harm in getting counted out. It's just a 10. And then, you know, we can go back and, and try again. But obviously, you know, Brett being the, the big baby face, he jumps in. And then obviously Aaron has to kind of work him down again. And uh, then there was this crazy moment during the match so uh uh brett kind of manages to dump aaron outside the ring and then he just gets the people to start clearing the clearing the the chairs and yeah i was like sitting there thinking oh you're not going to do what i think you're going to do are you so the people start clearing out there's a big hole just full of chairs he sits aaron down and then he starts like pelting at him and then Aaron moves out of the way and Brett just goes tumbling through all these chairs. Now, these are not like folding chairs. These are just, you know, your bog standard kind of room chairs that you sit on. There's no give in them. They're very hard. You know, the arms are all stiff and the legs don't move. And he just went bounding into these chairs and it was a really really rough moment and for a while we were all just like sitting there in shock of like what to do and it was like this kind of crazy moment because obviously all the crowd had sort of spread out and it sort of created this moment where people were just kind of looming over watching to see whether Brett's actually going to get up or not like people taking pictures it looked like there was a there was looked like it was a murder scene or something like that and people just crowding around taking pictures and you know gawping at this thing and I was like wow okay so maybe they're gonna go out for this like count out victory there obviously Aaron rolls into the ring we're getting him for eight we're getting for nine we're getting for nine and three quarters Brett jumps into the ring the crowd goes wild obviously Aaron starts working on the knee again but then Brett turns it round has a really really good sort of set of moves for the comeback starts throwing in some suplexes you know he's still selling the knee as much as he can he's kind of limping across and then he does that awesome gut punch that he does so well which looks fantastic and I love what Brett does here because obviously he looks like a fighter he is you know a legitimate fighter and when he hits 
that, he just goes boom and he just, you know, kind of waits in the corner because he, he's so kind of confident in that punch that if he nails that punch, they're going to be down for, you know, almost like the KO. So, you know, he just kind of lingers in the corner. He's trying to get his knee, his knee back in order. You know, Aaron's obviously on the floor selling his ass off, you know, this, this gut punch. He manages to get up for 10 and then, you know, they kind of start going into the false finishes, some really, really cool false finishes. Uh, Brett hits the F5, boom, one, two, two and three quarters. Aaron kicks out. Nobody can believe it. The crowd are going wild. I think he then kicks out of a an F5 from Aaron and then boom, boom, boom. Brett locks in this uh, heel hook kind of ankle lock type maneuver. You know, it's the middle of the ring. Aaron can't go anywhere. Brett's got, you know, his face, he's, he's chomping at the bit. He's, he's, he's looking for the victory. You know, Aaron looks like he's just about to tap out and then ding, ding, ding. Obviously, Brett thinks that he's just won the won the belts. He goes outside, he grabs the belts, he starts celebrating. The The announcer's confused. The ref is confused. The ref comes over to the, uh, to the ring bell person and says like, bro, what's going on? The ring bell person says, Unfortunately, we've reached the 20 minutes. Uh, so basically, this was a time limit draw. Aaron didn't tap out before the before the bell rang. So unfortunately, Brett is not the IPW champion. Aaron retains his belts. And then obviously, everybody's really upset. But then at that point, Aaron is like very happy to have escaped. He's very um, sort of thankful to Brett for having a great match. They both kind of reconcile in the ring. Aaron cuts a short little promo, just sort of basically putting over Brett really, really hard. They kind of hug in the middle of the ring and put their arms up and everybody's just going mad and crazy and it was just it was just a wonderful match to see and I really really enjoyed it and Brett is he's just a star yeah no, if he wants if he wants and he's the only one who can decide this he can go all the way quite fucking easily if, if he sent some some tapes into WWE you know um, or, or I don't know how it fucking works these days to be honest with you I, I honestly think that he's got legitimacy, he's got size, um, you know, he's speedy, he's athletic, he gets the business, he gets, he actually, he, he does genuinely get the business. I know he makes himself a bit small sometimes, and I know he's still got that sort of fire stance, and, and sometimes there's a little bit, you know, lacking in the showing out section. For the amount of time he's been doing it, I mean, he's fucking incredible. Like he is fucking incredible. He he is he is better than fucking ninety percent of the workers I've seen. Like on fucking anything, he gets it. And he's you know that match he had with RKJ at West End. I mean, fuck. Do you know what I mean? Like the, just the contrast of styles. And then he's going on to wrestling. You know, he's a heavyweight, so he's wrestling Aaron, and they're having a heavyweight match. He can change styles. He can work. He, he doesn't seem to be. Uh, stiff or hurting people and you know and he's he, he, but he's probably still snug you know and he, he doesn't mind the, you know the physicality getting getting cracked about so i can't rate the guy highly enough he is fucking superb he really is superb and another another year in the business depending on what he wants to do with the wrestling career side of things whether it's you know he's taking it as a hobby and just enjoying it or whether he's really serious about it and wants to actually get somewhere with it and fucking make some real world cash. He's got it. He's got no, I don't know what, what ties he's got, whether he's, I, know, I don't think he's got a girlfriend, but I don't know if he's got kids or anything like that. The, the world's at his fucking feet if he wants it. Um, the only thing that would stop it would be him. Um, yeah, he, he's, 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 he really is, the amount of time he's been doing it, 
is is fucking phenomenal you know yeah i keep thinking back like i must have been working for years and years and then um yeah when aaron asked him in the ring he goes how long have you been working he goes three months and my heart sank i was like three months you bastard yeah how are you this good after three months yeah, I, <laughs> I could barely still wrestle you know i could barely put on a hammerlock in three months of wrestling and you're here having these awesome matches yeah fair to say i was a bit jealous <laughs> it, it, yeah it's crazy isn't it? i mean it really is crazy and you know but some people are just some people just you know natural that they they fall into things naturally, and I think Brett was probably an amazing um, you know he was he was good at MMA and you know he, I'm sure he picked up a few wins, but I've never seen him in MMA or you know, I've never seen one of his fights be caught. So if he was as good as at MMA as he is at wrestling, he should be in the fucking UFC. Like I think the guy has found his calling in professional wrestling. Once he just gets that tiny little bit more experience in being in front of crowds and 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 working them and knowing when to show out and knowing when to take those pauses and knowing when to bring people down and when to bring people up he can take that on himself rather than maybe need a veteran just to guide him just through those bits because it isn't about like he doesn't need guiding through fucking like through he remembers everything by the looks of it he can sell and he can be intense and he pulls off his moves fucking really well and safely. And like say so that big gut punch looks fucking great. And all that, all that stuff is amazing. Um, I just don't know if he's being told by whoever he's working. They're obviously still probably planning and leading the matches a little bit. So, you know, when they're in the rings and someone like Aaron, who's been wrestling for a long time, probably led him and called the spots. And, you know, Aaron's a, a good wrestler. He's a good hand. He might need just a little bit more polishing up just to, so he's got the ability to lead a match himself. But again, with his raw and natural talent, you'll get then absolutely no problems. And I think that um, if any big company wanted to get behind him and, you know, put him in their training facility and, and whatnot, he, you know, he'd take to a life of short. I don't think there's anything he can't do. I just hope that, you know, the MMA and stuff hasn't sort of plagued him with injuries, you know what I mean? Because that's that's the only problem, you know, if he goes into this, if he goes into this sport injured, He's not going to get any less injured doing it, unfortunately. So that's the only thing. Hopefully, fingers crossed, the right eyes will see him and he'll or he'll push himself in the right direction. He could be on any shows now. Like, most doing a lot of uh, shows and doing out and about on weekends and touring around. But, you know, I don't know what big promotions are going are, are around at the moment. Just send whatever you can to the to the fucking biggest promotions going and just, just even this look. Steven is look once he gets some good gear and shows off his body. Once just just look a little bit of footage of, of him working, that should show any. I mean, if I if I had any say, if I was in the WWE and I had any say, I was I, I had a look at that guy after three months. I'd say fucking look at the guy after three months. What's he gonna be like in fucking three years? Do you know what I mean? This guy is is gonna fucking take the world by storm if he if he's led in the right direction. So, yeah, I've got nothing to say about him. And plus, not only that, he's such a fucking nice, humble guy. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's so sound. Like, he's not got no ego. He's not fucking loud and obnoxious like we're all well, like I am. 
he just fucking gets in there and gets stuck in and does an awesome job. I'm, I'm always exceptionally fucking uh, impressed with him. I'm proud of having him on the show, you know? Yeah, he smashed this match. It was awesome. Now, we had the interval. Then after the interval, we came back for match number four. We had six-man tag action, the NLP, Norfolk Legion of Pain, Crowley and Mitch Basher, with Harrison Payne versus the UK Pitbulls, Big Dave and Bulk, and local hero George Rashwood. And boy, this match was hot there were people there to see the ukp and rashwood so they obviously got major pops going into this and then on the other side you've got the nlp who can go in there and if it's 10 people 100 people a thousand people they can get each and every one of them in that crowd to absolutely hate and despise them so you got that perfect combination of white hot baby faces and just red hot heat from the heel so it was it was good you know uh rashwood did a lot of the fast paced stuff for the team uh he did a really really cool dive to the outside a lot of kind of kicks and stuff like that a good comeback um he obviously took the heat for the uh his team and the pitbulls um which you know gave uh pain and the nlp sort of time to just work him over and for him to sell and stuff like that then obviously the big tag the the crowd were just chomping at the bit they just wanted to see either one of the pitbulls whether it was mike or Dave just to get in there and start pummeling people. Uh, it was Mike at this point comes in, boom, 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 boom. Sets up Crowley in the corner, big run to the corner, big ass in the face, boom, Crowley's down. Dave gets in, sticks his ass in his face as well. The crowd are going absolutely mental because you know they're that kind of crowd. They don't, they like seeing the action, but. I feel like they probably associate better with an ass to the face than they do with, you know, a choke slam or a, or a inziguri or something like that. They, they can understand what, you know, a butt in the face kind of feels like other than some guy like stepping up and kicking you in the head. Yeah, and that's that a weird lot, thing if, between. If a lot of them know, Mike, they've probably actually seen his ass as well. They know how fucking horrendous <laughs> that experience is. <laughs> exactly. So, um, yeah. And then after that, the kind of the fight sort of dissolves into madness. The there's, kind of moves everywhere uh the ukp hit a double choke slam on harrison payne the nlp have started doing a really cool double team move where mitch basher gets uh his opponent in the sister abigail crowley comes off the ropes with a with a big knee and then he hits the sister abigail at the same time they hit that boom look really really good obviously everyone's selling the nlp and the ukp kind of fight to the outside there's chaos going on two sort of smaller guys left in the ring rashwood manages to hit a massive running knee on harrison payne and holt erupts and everybody is so happy it was such a good feel-good moment because of that that hometown advantage you know what would you want to say about the match was it technically perfect no did everyone like do all crazy spots no but did they get the heat did they get the pop did they get the crowd there exactly 100 and you know unfortunately that kind of led on to the last match because this match was so hot unfortunately it kind of left people a little bit exhausted for the last match but we'll get into that in just a second any uh questions jim no i mean to be honest with you i i, I can I can sort of see the match, picture the match. I've wrestled pitbulls a million times. I've wrestled fucking NLP a million times. Rashford, we obviously worked worked him the other day, and he's got a character now. He's got something to chop his teeth into, um, which is really good. I know he was babyface here, but you know, still, it just just again, it's just good to be able to work heel, babyface, whatever, you know, um, and get that experience. I don't know the other guy. Um, I don't know if he's been working long. You know, if he's a veteran or if he's if he's been around for a particularly long time i probably met him i just can't remember 
Do you know how much about him? Uh, no. The first time I met him, he came in the same car as uh, KM Lane, Cali, and Tommy. So I guess he's one of their guys. He sort of trains with them. Looked really good. Um, I think probably a little bit green around the ears, but like good for him to get a bit of exposure, especially with, with all those people in the match, for sure. Well, I mean, you got, you know, the Pitbulls in there with God knows how many years' experience. The NLP now, which have been a tag team for years. Um, so they, they've got some really good experience. Um, Mitch Bashers and Crowley are both amazing heels in very different ways. And that's why that team works so beautifully. Obviously, you've got Mitch, who's just the, the vocal, mental lunatic, but he's at least a human being, even though he's a complete psychopathic human being. He's the worst kind of human being. He's the kind of bloke who, if you saw in a pub, you would just walk out of that fucking place immediately because you'd be frightened of him. And, you know, but Crowley is is sort of like the other end of the spectrum. The sort of, you know, the the the, the quiet, well, it's not quite because he grunts and screams and growls, but, you know, covered in shit, dirty fucking creature from the swamp, stinking fucking lunatic who Mitch Basher has found. And, you know, the only person that isn't frightened of Mitch Basher, so he's fucking got a bit of respect for him. I think, fuck it, let's tag up and kick people's asses. And that's, you know, there's such an amazing demo, it's such an amazing demographic between two people in a tag team. Um, and it works so well together and they can get heat in such different ways. I mean, fuck, they, sh- they should tag forever. You know, like you get, you get teams and you think to yourself, I don't ever want to split them up. Like, they're so good. I mean, you know, you never know what's going to happen down the line. Of course, we know, you know, things, we always need to freshen things up. But, I mean, the, the, those two are just so fucking good together. And, and obviously, when we wrestled them before and, and felt the chemistry, and, you know, I've obviously been fucking um, feeling a bit sorry for myself, and I've been watching a few of um, the matches we've had with them. And, you know, like, we've had, a, you know, a couple of free matches with them over the past, all that they've been, been involved in, at least, over the past few months. And, um, you know, our Linsport one and the one we had when they first came back and um, all that sort of stuff. It, it's, it's odd because... I pick things from those matches and there's like a sort of really, really fucking amazing match there. Uh, both matches are good, but I pick things from the, from the sort of two that we've had so far, or I don't know if we've had three or, but I think it's two, the two that we've had so far. And I sort of pick things out of both of them and I sort of insert them in, in, in sort of the right way. And I think, right, we get that. If we get that match, that's going to be a fucking absolute milestormer. Do you know what I mean? But we have a really good connection with them. But then again, everyone does because it's so fucking easy to wrestle them. It's, it's so easy because you, you don't need to do anything. They're hated. And if you're a good babyface team, which obviously they had an amazing babyface team, not only were they, are they have got years, years of work of experience, um, they're also, you know, extremely well known and local to the area. So, you know, they've got a lot of, like you say, they've got a lot of people in there who, who they know, who are fans. And like you say, are going to fucking go ballistic for them. So yeah, it was. I can I can see it now. Picture it: total heat, total fucking chaos, just punching, kicking, lunacy, and like you say, leaving Rashwood and the other lad in to do any fancy stuff that needs to be done. The other guys are just going to go in there, fucking you know, like I say, all guns blazing, arms swinging, and yeah, just uh, yeah, big big slams, big rolls, and. Uh, just cool shit. I can, I can see it. I can see it now. I know the match. I've done it a million times. I can see it now. But there was one part during the match, which, and, and this is just how good Mitch Basher is. And I, I hate to put him over because, you know, eventually we're going to have to wrestle him again. And, you know, we want to take those belts off him. But I can't say anything bad about the guy because he's just such a nice guy. And 
his work in the ring like he he's so smart in, in in a sense that he knows he's a heel you know that that promo at the beginning does so much for him his entrance and his you know ferociousness and his tenacity when he comes out and then the promo that he cuts and it doesn't have to be long it can just be really quick and what he did in this one was was bloody brilliant because um we had a I, I don't know. We had a female announcer and I'm not sure whether she's done this before, but she she sounded like she, it, this this was her first time. Like she didn't sound like a natural kind of wrestling MC or announcer. So obviously, you know, they come to the ring and he just grabs the mic out of her hand. He goes, oh, let me do this properly, you know, whatever. And then was like, oh God, what's he going to say? And he's just like, obviously introduces himself, you know, in the way he does, oh, Mitch Basher, the leader of the NLP and this is Crowley, blah, blah, blah. And like, all he needed to do was just that, like he got instant heat off that. And like that, that carries him throughout the whole entire match. It's not as if he needs to do much more after that because he's just already just so hated. And then what he does off that, obviously his, his heat is, you know, level 10 there. And then he just goes in there and he just, he just does so much for the baby faces. Like I never realized this before. Like he bumps around like he's he's half the size and he doesn't need to do that. And, you know, some would probably say he shouldn't do that, but he's just such a kind of a giving wrestler that he wouldn't even care whether you're, you know, whether you're five foot, a hundred pounds or whether you're, you know, six foot, 400 pounds. He would bump the same for either of you because he knows that to do that, it's it's just going to make the show even better because he's already got his heat. He doesn't need to go in there and just do crazy moves and, and you know, he doesn't need to go in there and beat the crap out of you because he's already got his heat. And like, I just noticed that in this match and it was just, it was just so good just to watch him. And obviously Crowley is, is a genius as well, like in the ring, like the stuff he does. He's, Mitch Basher has always been so fucking given as a heel. Like, you know, both the matches we've had with them, we've kicked their ass for a majority of the match. And like you say, with the promo and the heat they get from that, and also the win they're going to eventually get, which will be a fucking cheat um, or a disqualification, um, they'll get even more heat. So they know that they're going to, you know, if they're wrestling a good tag team, they know that they're going to leave with even more heat than they went in with, which is getting to the point now where it's virtually impossible. But, you know, they're getting to that nuclear heat point. And that's what fucking good tag teams do. I remember watching, you know, Tilly Blanchard and Arn Anderson as the Brainbusters against the Heart Foundation. And honestly, they fucking got their ass kicked for the entire match. All they did was sell and sell and sell and sell. They didn't, I don't think they even fucking took any heat on the Heart Foundation. They cheated in the end, they won, and people hated them because the way that they walked and presented themselves and the way that they stood and the fucking arrogance of Tully and the aggression of Arn and just all those different things. Like, you know, if you've got a team that has two very distinctive characters who are so easily hateable and are so giving, that's gold. And, um, yeah, if, if they keep doing that, then it's a shame. It's a shame, really, they... I mean, I, I'm sure they enjoy it and whatnot, and I know that they've got families and whatnot, and it, it's it's very hard when you've got family to go on the road as as much as you as much as you sort of need to 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 get yourself out. But it's such a shame um, that they can't get out a little bit more because I really do think that they're probably one of the best heel tag teams in in the country, and I'm not just saying that because fucking you know because they they sort of trained mainly under the FSW banner, but they're just so fucking good. Any babyface team that wrestles them has got nothing to worry about. That's why I love wrestling them. It's just, it's just a piece of piss. Do you know what I mean? And they don't forget spots. They don't forget what's going on. Um, you know, when you 
thinking of the match at the back, you know, especially if I'm there, you know, Mitch is always so respectful and Crowley's always fucking super smart when it comes to things making sense and he wants things to make sense within the match, as do you, you know, like, I, I always see if we plan a match with them, like, I'm the guy who fucking thinks of the story and, and you guys think of the, think of the, okay, right. Like you give us the destination and we, we pick the route. Yeah, you exactly. Know? Yeah, I'll give you the start, maybe the idea of promo, blah, 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 and the end. And yeah, you, 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 you give it the substance, you know, I, I say what's the fucking dinner and you cook it, you know what I mean? And it, and you put the recipe and, you know, and I'm fucking, I start it off and you throw all the fucking spices and shit in it to make it fucking taste so much better. When, you get a couple of teams together that uh, that that know each other and have wrestled each other quite a lot and are both quite experienced. You know that's really really good way to think about things and you know and to actually get sort of matches to actually mean something and, and be a little bit different. Most definitely. Then we had our main event of the evening, match number five. This was for the Falling Star Wrestling Championship, C.W. Davies, the reigning and defending Falling Star Wrestling Champion, versus Tommy Lawrence. Now, first off, obviously, whatever I say about this match, I, I did love it. Like, if, if, if I say anything negative, it's just kind of, you know, we're doing this constructive criticism thing, but it suffered from one thing, and that was just that they had to follow the UKP in Rashwood. Like, the crowd were absolutely exhausted after that match, and, you know, with hindsight, I think it would have been better to kind of switch the matches and had the six-man tag as the big kind of blow-off, you know, babyface win for the end. But, you know, it is what it is. You have that kind of prestige with a with a belt and it's a Falling Star Wrestling Championship. You know, obviously Charlie, he's he's the guy that runs Big Top Wrestling. So, you know, undoubtedly he'd want to kind of put himself at the apex, at the top. He's the champion. He wants to you know, kind of show himself. But like, if we were booking it, maybe we'd have sw- switched them around. But like, nothing against this match because it was absolutely superb. Like, they busted their asses to to entertain this crowd. A lot went into it. There's there so many kind of moving parts, so many intricate things, but not necessarily it wasn't overbooked. Like, these guys just kind of beat the crap out of each other. It was like a lot of back and forth. Some really, really good falsies. Uh, Tommy's really, really coming into his own, like selling and with his crowd work and stuff like that. You can really tell he's getting more and more confident. And, you know, this was quite a tall ask for him because, you know, in in previous events, you know, he's either been the opener or he's been in tag matches or he's been in that kind of, you know, sort of cruiserweight thing. But here he is sort of wrestling, obviously, CW, the best in falling style wrestling at the moment, the champion who looks superb, obviously knows that to work a crowd and then you got kind of Tommy Lawrence in there who's still up and coming still learning looks great is obviously very very athletic and now he's starting to add those little bits in there with his selling his selling's really good he's not overselling you know you can see the pain on his face he's looking to the crowd he's trying to get them involved but unfortunately it was that kind of time where people were like I want to give you something but I can't I'm just too tired like can you just can you just try and win please you know they're trying to clap and I was sitting at the back trying to get people going but people were just watching the match like it was one of those matches that you just had to sit and watch and you know there were some really really cool high spots there was some really really good kind of power moves obviously Tommy's very quick doing a couple of uh, sort of moves off the top rope there was this wicked one where Tommy goes for a springboard back elbow gets reversed into a blue thunder bomb absolutely exquisite CW goes up to the top quick nip up hits the cutter off the off the top there really really good nice falsies <laughs> yeah yeah I know yeah, hitting the cut. Well, you know, you weren't there to well, you weren't there to defend your honor, Jim. I can't, I can't, I can't complain. <laughs> fucking someone doing a cut when when I'm not there. I suppose. Uh, I don't, <laughs> it's, it's when I'm exactly. There. Uh, 
you know, CW hits the spear, which is normally the finish, really big near fall. But then he finishes Tommy off with with a, with a devastating tombstone pile driver. Like this match, you could easily see on like AEW TV. It could have been a great opener for like one of their pay-per-views, you know, high spots, dives, power moves, falsies, stiff strikes, lots of chops, lots of forearms that looked really, really meaty, you know, on both sides. You know, I was willing Tommy to come back, you know, sort of CW does a lot of kind of, overbearing of people you know he'll kick people and punch people and grind them into the corner and you're just willing that baby face to come back and you know when Tommy switches it and starts giving him chops of his own like that's that's what you want to see in a baby face a nice bit of fire a really really good match like really really good like if that was on television you could watch that all day awesome stuff like and all in all like a really really good event awesome crowd good atmosphere all the boys were there. It was nice to hang out. It was a very kind of relaxed, chilled out atmosphere. From my perspective, you know, I don't know what it was like for, you know, the Pitbulls and Charlie kind of organising the event and, and you know, the, the stress that comes along with that. We spoke about it um, off air. There were some van issues, you know, with the Falling Star Wrestling van. We had some battery problems, so the van wouldn't start. And I can imagine that just amps up the pressure as well. Obviously with yourself, you know, being injured and on the shelf, not being able to make the event. You know, when things kind of have to chop and change at the last minute, I can imagine that raises the the stress levels. But, you know, Charlie looked pretty chill. Big Dave and, and Bulk, they were, you know, getting getting stuff done and it just organised a really, really good event. So um, hats off to uh, Big Top Wrestling. Yeah, no, it... it- Promoting is fucking hard, you know, and if they put on an awesome show and pulled in an awesome crowd, you know, that ain't easy. Fair cop to anyone who can do it, you know. I mean, when I first started, you know, when we first started, you were there, you know, for a lot of it. Sometimes we'd have awesome crowds and sometimes we'd have shy crowds. It's only been in the sort of past four or five years we've really sort of consistently had good crowds. You know, Swanton and Morley wasn't a particularly great, great crowd. But, you know, that was still sort of, you know, maybe three quarters full. Back in when I first started, I would have jumped for joy at three quarters full. You know, we made a profit, you know. You know, if you make a profit, it's a business at the end of the day. If you make a profit financially, um, everyone gets fucking, you know, everyone gets weighed in. The crowd go away thinking that was a fucking excellent show. I want to come back. Then, you know, that's fucking awesome. And be, they should be pleased and, 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 and proud of that because... You know, it, it's not easy. I mean, you know, I, I, was, I was thinking back the other day to we've been promoting two shows a month now for, for, for nearly 10 years. Um, someone who's good at maths would be able to work out how many shows that is. That, that's a lot of shows and a lot of pressure. And yeah, things do go wrong. I've had bands break down, fucking half the crew not, not turn up. I mean, you know, you, you remember um, even just recently over at Outwell when, when that petrol shortage was on. You know, half the fucking guys couldn't get to the show because they couldn't get any fuel. No one's fault. It's just fucking the way it was. You know what I mean? It's just, so what do you do? You you make chicken salad. Our chicken shit. The place was absolutely rammed. So we still had to put on a show and we ended up putting on a fucking really good show. Do you know what I mean? With, with some cracking matches on it. We had to have a little bit of a think about how it worked, but it worked fine in the end. You know, it was good. It was a good show. And, and Lynn Sports, I mean, they're, they're fucking so stressful that they, they cause fucking brain damage do you know what i mean like it's 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 so stressful you do it because you love it um you do it because you you know you've got your own vision of how you want your product to be um i'm sure big top have got theirs we've we've got ours um and if there's lots of wrestling going on out there and there's lots of people wanting to see it and we can work together and we can fucking get people in and it's more work for the boys 
more wrestling for the wrestling fans. It's win-win all round, you know. If we if we can stick to working together and whatnot and doing a few favors here and there, and you know, they use my ring, that's not a fucking problem. They can use it whenever they want. Obviously, the fucking van needs a new battery, but you know, that's easily sorted. Like I know the van got there late, but it didn't get there late for the show. It just got there late for the training, which was called it. The I'm sure I've gone there plenty of time for the show. There's always a way if you got a bit of time. And that's one thing I always do with my shows. I always leave plenty of time for preparation. So if things go wrong, okay, sometimes maybe there's training, it's a bit late, or the training can't happen because something's gone wrong. But by showtime, things are ready. And that's the important thing. We're there to put on a show. We're there to entertain people. Um, and by hook or by crook, if the crowd come out entertained and they love the show, no matter what promotion it is, it's only a good thing for the wrestling business and for the local wrestling business in in the uh, in the area. I can see by the amount of interest recently that Falling Stars been getting from you know the local press and stuff like that. You know, people are starting to come to us rather than me trying to reach out and desperately desperately promote Falling Star wrestling. People are starting to come to us because you know they suddenly become interested in it. Takes a long time. Takes a long time, and it's uh, it's good, you know. And I tip my hat to anyone who wants to be a wrestling promoter because it's fucking hard work, and it's a lot of organisation, and you're going to lose a lot of money, um, and you're going to make some money here and there. That was a good show. I'm sure everyone fucking you know went off hands clapping, um, but there's a lot of time when it's fucking like, uh, fuck, I've just lost God knows how much money. But God knows how much hard work, especially in the early days, it's, it's miserable. But when it goes well, there's nothing better. I've seen some really nice, awesome pictures and some fantastic comments online. Really, really pleased, really proud of the guys. And what, I don't know if that means anything. Um, I, I, I'm genuinely gutted that I couldn't be there. But FSW's got to take priority, especially with my shoulder. I'm glad you. I'm glad you had a a good tag team partner to sub in for me whilst I was uh, whilst I was healing up with my shoulder. So, no, sounds like a great show all around and I congratulate everyone who's involved in it. That's fucking awesome. Hey guys, PVC here for a quick one. Falling Star Wrestling are back for their annual Christmas bash on Saturday, 11th of December at the Westland Sports and Social Club. Doors open earlier than normal, 4pm doors, with the show kicking off at 5pm. Tickets are available on the door and more information is on our Facebook page at Falling Star Wrestling. Now back to the show. Yeah, going back to the the kind of the tag team thrown together thing, like that was that was a challenge in and of itself. Like I was quite disappointed when I received, you know, the message from yourself saying that you couldn't make it and, you know, would have to figure something else out because that kind of left a lot of pressure on me, especially working with with two green guys. And we said about it in, you know, earlier on in the podcast, we want to kind of touch upon this topic of working with green guys. And when we say green, we don't mean bad. We mean green just as like, you know, inexperienced and stuff like that. So having that kind of pressure on my shoulders uh, was difficult, but I think well, I'd like to think, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I kind of delivered on that front because I'm used to people having a little bit of experience and having a little bit of input into the match. But, you know, the other two guys, like first and, you know, probably third match, and then obviously Bobby Adams, 
you know, he's obviously a regular with Falling Star Wrestling, but he's the kind of person that will sit back and sort of be like, okay, yeah, you want me to do that? That's really cool. And, you know, he'll have his input, but more of a case of look up to me. And, you know, a lot of the times I actually look up to you or I look up to somebody else or I look for other people's um, sort of input, especially we were talking about the NLP. Let me just quickly ask you a question. Like yeah. if it, so you had Bobby uh, Hull um, and you had me at, at West Lynn. You know, in terms of like ma- the matches, so the the one that you had with me as your partner, and uh, I'm not looking for props or anything. I'm just looking for different. I'm just looking for just looking for differences in 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 your opinion of how you feel, felt. And obviously, I know you said you were disappointed I couldn't be there, and it was fucking pressure and all that sort of stuff. But the, the it, it actually the difference in a match styles and b preparation and c just. Um, how you felt being the the veteran there who had to guide it, but what was the differences between the first time you wrestled those guys with me and the second time you wrestled over at Hull? You know what 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 were sort of main things that were, were were different? I guess the first thing was obviously when you're putting together a match. If it's a tag team match, there's four people there. If there's two inexperienced guys, they've obviously got their ideas, but it's upon the 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 two more experienced, which would have been you and myself. Like obviously, we can kind of go back and forth and share ideas and and think of the best way to go about it. And I can say, what about this? And you say, ah, actually, I think this would work better. You know, but I didn't really have that kind of thing at Holt. It was more of a case of somebody would mention something and, and it's harsh being the, the veteran and having to like strike people's ideas down because it doesn't really fit with the match like a lot of the especially the newer guys they wanted to go in and get their the, you know quote unquote get their shit in straight away and I was like that's kind of not how the match works like we don't want to start off like going crazy with you guys just slamming us around and you know getting getting up on us I was like yeah I, I don't want to be too forthright but like us as baby faces we need to go out there and we need to get over to begin with and your section will come afterwards where you know you have the heat where you have that that five minutes where you're just going to beat up Bobby. Like you can do what you want during that bit, but like the first bit, and it's it's kind of like sort of shooting people's ideas down. And you never shoot my ideas down, I never shoot your ideas down. It's kind of a, a coming together process. But sort of doing that by yourself is quite difficult because you know you don't want to be that asshole and just be like, oh, whatever, everything I say is right and everything you say is wrong. But you have to kind of take that on your shoulders and and use that experience to to be able to just. Say, actually I am going to be right you know it may sound a little bit boring now but I know you guys are new so I can't expect you to do this this and this I could have added in so much more in my kind of shine at the beginning and we could have added in so much more in the heat little bits of comeback you know and basically the end of the match was basically a hot tag and then a few finishes and we went home you know there could there could have been falsies in there there could have been all these other bits and bobs there could have been a boo yay spot but it was like I kind of just took that approach just to be like no we're going to do this as simple as possible because you know I, I don't want to go out there and everybody to be lost because I know how disappointing it could be, especially in the early stages of your career when you go out there and you, you know, quote unquote, shit the bed a little bit. I just want everyone to go out there and just have a good time. So I guess it's it's not 100% of the pressure, but almost like 80% of the pressure on me to go out there and, and perform whilst also keeping the match organised. Whereas, you know, the difference is working with you, you obviously got, much more experienced than I do. So you've got, you, you can carry that burden with me. You know, we can carry the match together in and of ourselves. If I'm in the ring getting beaten up, you're on the outside cheering for me, vice versa. We can, you know, share ideas in the ring and outside the ring. So I think they're the, they're the main two differences. But the match that we had at West Lynn didn't go as well as the match we had at Holt. But that's only because obviously 
we had the ideas from West Lynn and sometimes you try things out the first time and you just have to see what happens. And, you know, that didn't go 100% to plan, but I knew that I could take everything I learned within that match and apply it to this match, which really, really helped because I knew what didn't work in that match. I knew what was difficult for the for the green guys to understand in that match. And I could apply it to this match, which made life really, really easy. Because if I, if I didn't have that match at West Lynn, I think this would have been such a, a, a tough task to overcome, you know, being there kind of quote unquote by myself as, as kind of the veteran leader. Uh, I seem to remember at West Lynn, we had very little time with those guys to to plan anything so did you did you have a bit more time were they there a little bit little bit earlier so you had a look no no so the weird thing was um we got there and obviously bobby was there i was there you'd just text me saying you couldn't make it and yeah we were wondering who the other guys were obviously i i'd heard that one of the guys had broken their arm so i knew it wasn't going to be the streets of rage that we'd wrestled before so up until about uh, the the doors opened at 6.30 and I think they arrived at around quarter to seven. So again, we didn't have any time in the ring. I couldn't see what they were like in, in the ring to, to roll around or anything like that. So it was very much in, in the backstage area. There wasn't much time to kind of plan stuff together. It was lucky that the, the other guy from Streets of Rage was there. So he knew the other match so I could kind of pitch to him we're going to do a very similar thing and he was very up for that so that that helped a lot as well and you know obviously having people there that are willing to kind of listen and not just you know, do their own thing obviously Bobby's very good at listening and and you know has his own input but you know putting my st- stuff out there just to say you know we don't have a lot of time to figure it out we're on second the doors are open we can't go out and choreograph anything now we just have to figure it out you know when somebody walks into a room you don't know what level of experience they've got and uh, the other guy that you hadn't met like super great look really nice guy really intense and stuff but you could sense that he was green I just sort of said to him like we will go over this as many times as you need to you know and he kept coming back and he's like oh what, what what's this part and it's like right don't worry about it we'll go over this bit he's like Here, here's what you need to do you need to remember your bits and then you know you don't need to worry about anything else you've got your bit at the beginning little bit of heat and then you've got your bit at the end like you only really need to remember the first two bits the heat in between is is whatever you want but then again to green people that's quite daunting as well isn't it like you know uh calling stuff on the fly or you know heat in general is quite daunting for some people because they could get tagged in and then freeze up and not know what to do and i just sort of said to the guy like what what can you do he goes oh i can do a pretty good body slam i said just do that tag in grab bobby give him a shot body slam him, tag out. And that's exactly what he did. And he did that like two or three times. And every time he came in and body slammed him. And that was absolutely perfect. Like, and that even went into one of the cutoffs. Like at one point, I think Bobby just called to get him in a chin lock. Obviously we, we brought the crowd down a little bit. Bobby works the way up. And I think he called like, cut me off and give me a body slam. Bobby gave him the three elbows, boom, boom, boom. And the guy just grabbed him, body slammed him again. I was like, that's perfect. What more do you need? Like the guy probably only knew one move, but it was effective. He didn't need to go crazy because they were talking about other moves backstage, gorilla presses, sidewalk slams, fall away. And I was just like, if you can do a body slam, just do it. <laughs> if he really looked that good, um, you know, the crowd are probably looking at him going, that's a big, impressive motherfucker. They're not looking, thinking, oh, he's done, he's done three body slams in a row. That's outrageous. They're thinking that is a big, impressive looking motherfucker. How's this, how's, you know, Bobby going to get out of this one? It's like you say, it's more about the story greener guys who who want to get the, like want to get their shit in and and want to you know not i'm not saying those, those guys but for some greener guys who want to get their shit in and do their moonsaults and baranis and all that sort of stuff 
sometimes it's yeah it's not about that it's about you know let's learn how to tell a story and it's one of those things you know look at it as an as an induction if i went to work in a fucking office somewhere you know i wouldn't go in there and start parading around on my first day and telling people what to do when i knew nothing about the job you know i've got a vague idea you know you've got an induction you've got training to go through you've got fucking and then after training you've got work-based training and blah 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 you know most jobs they don't just fucking, you know, throw you in the deep end. They, they, well, they shouldn't, you know, not if they want an, an effective employee. You get someone who's been doing it a while and they, they fucking teach you. It's an induction. And wrestling is no different. You know, it's, it's, it's the same thing. You need that induction. A, the first bit of induction you need is the actual training, you know, going to a wrestling school and, and learning how to do the bumps. And then when you're ready and, you know, you people feel you're ready, you need to get in front of the ring, and then there's another whole new induction of how to tell a story. The Streets of Rage guys, the last guys that that, that were there when we were at um, when we were at West End. Again, we didn't have a great deal of time. But I think another thing that I, I mean, I don't know. I might be putting words in your mouth because, again, the experience factor of of myself, you know, and the and the experience factor of of you, and the fact that we tagged quite a few times before. We've got our little bits that we do, blah blah blah. Um, so we know that we can hook those things in. I'm never really nervous nowadays about a wrestling match, nervous whether I'll, the fucking place will draw and, you know, we'll make some fucking cash and, you know, and the fans will enjoy it and the show will go well. I'm more nervous about other people's matches than mine. So anyway, well, I suppose what I'm saying is is there's a, a calmness factor in, you know, the, the fact that, that you've got someone who's a little bit more experienced to fall back on. But when you haven't got that, fucking hard work. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's it's you guiding the sort of three-ring circus, and that that's hard. Not saying Bobby needs a great deal of guiding, and he probably didn't. He went out there and did his bit, but, and you probably didn't need to say a word to him. But you still needed backstage to sort of say, direct the story into the way that you knew would make sense. And, you know, and like you say, when people say, oh, should I do this in this bit? And you know it's wrong. And you know it's wrong, but you don't want to say, no, that's fucking bollocks. That's not, that won't work. What I tend to do is, is I tend to say that that's a fucking good idea, but it's just probably won't work here in this particular bit. Maybe we could do it here, or if not, just save it for the next match. We'll probably wrestle again or save it for a match when it will make sense. But this won't make sense here. And also, God bear in mind, you know, this is your sort of second or third match. Let's just keep it simple and just see if we can entertain that crowd. Do you know what I mean? Because that's that's the main thing, entertaining that crowd. And then, you know, maybe think about that next time. You know, you don't need to piss on their idea or whatever. You just need to sort of convince them with mind games and and, and verbiage, which, you know, you've got a very good very good vocabulary and, and, and way of talking. You've just got to sort of convince them by sort of turning, bending their idea back around to, to, to the, your vision of the match. And if it ain't going to work, it isn't going to work, is it? So, you know, you can see suddenly like, oh, what about if I just pick you up and like, you know, what about if I pick you up and just power bomb you there? Uh, it's not going to quite work. Do you know what I mean? It might work here, but it isn't going to work there. And, you know, if you want to do that here, we can do that here because it'll work there, but it isn't going to work here. Or no, just that move isn't going to work in this particular match, in this particular environment. Save that for another fucking day. Yeah, it's, it's an art learning to communicate that to to the people you're wrestling. Because again, you don't want to make them feel like their um, ideas are, are not valued because their ideas are. You need their ideas because you need to know what they can do so you can 
actually, you know, give them give them something. Because like you say, the last thing you want to go out and do is trounce them. Do you know what I mean? You want the you want to put a match, you want to make them look good, you want to make them look better than when they went in. Um, but you know, how to do that when you don't know anything about them and they don't really know anything about themselves yet. It's fucking hard work. It ain't easy. I think the thing is as well, like for me, having that kind of authority to lead the match, you know, they have their input and you have to, you know, turn it down nicely. Like you said, you, you could say that wouldn't work there, but it might work later on or it might work in a future match. But it's one of those pressured filled things where you put together the match, and you know, in your mind, it's it's going to be a passable match. You know, it's not going to be, you know, it's not going to set the world on fire. It's not going to be, you know, five star match. It's not going to be match of the year, but you're going to get through it. You're going to get a good bit of baby face heat. You're going to get a good bit of heel heat a nice little comeback a bit of fire and if you've got the right people in there it's going to work and you know in your mind if everything plans out like you have planned it it's going to work out but it's that pressure of like if it doesn't then you know there's that flip side of like if i have solely planned this whole match and i made sure that everybody's got their own parts and i've basically said to you you need to do this and you need to do this and you need to do this and then it doesn't come to fruition it can make me feel like oh maybe i don't know what i'm doing but i guess that's you know the fact that it did go well makes me think, ah, oh, I guess I do know what I'm doing. I guess it's that, that weird little bit of pressure of like, it doesn't really matter until it really pans out. Like, you know, if, if it would have gone out there and did exactly what they said and it got over, then you're a bit like, ah, maybe I don't know much about wrestling. But the fact that I said, right, we're going to do this do in this in this order and then it goes out and it does work out all right and there's a nice flow to it and there's a nice kind of nice cheer and a nice bit of heat and stuff like that, it, you, you dig get backstage and then when other you know other veterans in the in the office are saying like that was actually really good because they expected it to be, the, to be the drizzling you know that's a nice thing to go oh all right so maybe i do know what i'm doing like no, that, that's you, a good feeling. You, you, you do and that and that's like the sort of second part of the i think of your sort of evolutionary stage really like in, in terms of like you, your career personally like you do know what you're doing and you get to a point where you don't second guess yourself after a while you just you just know that what you're what you're suggesting is the right thing. Like not talking about like um, you know what type of wrestler I am. I know what type of wrestler you are. You know what boundaries I have, and I don't think you have that many boundaries. I have quite a few, but whatever the deal is, I'm gonna work as hard as I can to fucking you know do my my best, and you're gonna work as hard as you can and do your best. It's it's just you can't be a performer in any fucking. Uh, whether it be acting, whether it be fucking singing, dancing, whatever the fuck you are, whether you're a rock star performer, you're going to go out there and give it your all. Um, and obviously, as time goes on, your abilities are going to be less, but you're still going to give it your all. But what I'm saying about that is, is we know each other now. We know sort of how we think and what we're thinking. So, for example, I know our match at Western fucked up a little bit because you had to tag me earlier than we initially sort of, you know, spoke about it backstage. And when you just said double suplex to me, I went, oh, all right, got in the ring and did it, and then just fucking, you know, signaled to the other dude, fucking clothesline. He went to clothesline me, I clotheslined him, but I stood stood so sturdy, he went down, and then he knew that we were going in at the spot from there, so we sort of reconnected back into the match that we were going to do after that. So, you know, there was was, was a bit of a fuck up there. Now, if that had happened at Holt, that might not have been the same kind of thing because that wouldn't have been your bit to cover if that makes sense. Well, the suplex would have been, but then the the fuck up from the the clotheslines and whatever 
it could have gone a lot worse. You know what I mean? Having that extra veteran in there is a huge help in the sense that, like, you know, you could fucking say to me, like, after that tag, fucking, you know, I'm not going to panic. Do you know what I mean? Like, you've tagged me. Radio, here we go. What are we doing? You know, you called the suplex, double suplex. So there we go. That's what we're doing. Um, now, right, it's my turn. What are we going to do now? All right, here we go. Bang, bang, bang. And then, you know, my brain goes into whatever zone it goes into. And the match uh, eventually gets back to where it's supposed to. And it goes off. Okay. If you're tagging with someone, I mean, I, I don't know. Like you said, that match flowed a lot better because you've wrestled one of those guys before. You had a framework for the match. You know, Ed's a totally different wrestler to me. So he's not going to be doing the same spots and he's not going to be doing the same thing. But would if, would he have reacted the same way that maybe I would have done to a call like that, if that makes sense? Do you know what I mean? Because it's, uh, it's a you know, would he have been like, what? At the same time. Do you know what I mean? What's happening? And, you know, not, not saying he would have panicked, but maybe there would have been that little bit more of a delay in, in thinking, which could have then thrown the match off even more. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, th- I think I know where you're coming from. Like, I think from my perspective, like knowing that you are as experienced as you are, it's easier for me to kind of not leave things left unsaid because, you know, I, I could drop you in any kind of situation within the match and know that you would be able to handle yourself and make the story make sense and get yourself over or, you know, be able to bump around for those guys and sell sell your ass off to, to get them over. Like, I don't think it's a case of that. I think it's like, it's it, it's different because, yeah, like I said, if if, if I, if, the, the, yeah, the pressure is totally different, isn't it? It's, it's shared between us, whereas... Whereas in this match in Holt, it was it was kind of solely on on my kind of shoulders, and you know I was kind of calling spots from outside the match, and that's always a difficult thing because, you know, when I'm wrestling with you, I don't need to do that, and that's always obviously it's it's always a relief to not have to kind of worry solely on the match. So it's 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 difficult to say because you know obviously Bobby's very very good in the ring, and who knows what would have happened whether he would have kind of reacted the same way. But in a sense, he did. There was a spot obviously at the end when the guy hit me with a bubble bomb and popped up, and he was meant to hit the backstabber, and like you know I I, I didn't quite see what happened because I'd just taken a move, but I sort of looked around and just I didn't see a backstabber. I saw a big big old sort of running drop kick, and I just thought I guess that's Ed's experience just kicking in, just going. Well, I was meant to hit this guy with one move, but he needs to be incapacitated, so. I'll just do whatever I can to get him down. He knows he's not going to go over there and be like, the guy was a bigger guy than him, you know, slightly shorter, but, you know, much more muscular than him. He's not going to go over and do a, I don't know, Michinoku driver or a Death Valley driver or something like that. So he's just like, I need to do whatever I can. I'm just going to run at him and, and put my boots into his chest and hopefully that does enough to to kind of to cover it. And it obviously did. And that's obviously Ed's experience. Well, that's who, beautiful here. That's beautiful here because, yeah. you know, like Ed again is, 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 but, you know, he's obviously trained with, with, with me a lot and Rob a lot and, you know, you a lot and everyone a lot, really. When I've always said, you know, there's a mistake made, as long as you don't stand there and look at the crowd and go, oh, dear, I've made a mistake. The crowd ain't going to know fuck all. You know, running in and giving the big drop kick is the best thing you could have possibly done, you know, because it just kept the momentum going. It kept the speed going. It kept you guys on top. And then you could just fucking rejoin the match at whatever point you needed to rejoin it. Or if you had a totally clustered, fucking hit your finish, done. Do you know what I mean? That's that's you know, and that's that's the that that that's the main thing. And that's another thing I always say to you know experienced guys. It's like you know, it makes me laugh, and it's all happened a little bit when you know those guys did really well. Like fucking you know, when we wrestled them at Westland, 
But when I said to the um, when I said to the blonde guy, like you know, um, oh, I'll start. Don't worry about. It. I'll just call in the ring, but he'll end with this. Like his eyes fucking bulge. You know what I mean? And he's like, we'll just do a few ins and outs and stuff like that. I don't think he knew what ins and outs meant, or if he did, he, I don't think he knew that many ins and outs. You know what I mean? So he's like, oh, what's going to happen? Blah, blah, blah. So when I was in the ring, I thought, and I locked up with him, and obviously quite nervous, quite difficult to move about. I thought ins and outs ain't going to really work here. I'm just going to, I'll just punch, I'll just deck him about a bit. And, you know, not, not in real fashion, but I'll just punch him about a bit and give him like smack his head on thing and get the crowd involved and blah, 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 and do a few bits. And then, you know, we'll go from, we'll, we'll do our double team. That'll get a good pop. Do you just sort of think on the think on the square? Do you know what I mean? You just fucking, you know, you 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 work out when you're in there with them where they are, like you know, because again, you only really know how good a person is when you actually fucking lock up with them. Like I can tell when I lock up with someone, just lock up. I don't mean actually have a match, but actually lock up with someone, I can pretty much tell how experienced they are and whether this is going to be easy or whether it's going to be hard work or how I should approach my next step. Like, you know, if I lock up with someone and I try and put them in a wrist lock and, you know, I'm not saying any of these guys did this, but I've had this in the past and I try and put them in a wrist lock and I can't physically fucking do it because they're so strong and their arms are fucking grafted to the side of their body and they're so nervous and they're frozen and you, you just don't know what to do. It's like, well, fuck that. You know, I've got to abandon this little this little move I had in mind here because it's not going to quite work. I'll try a you know, I'll try something different, like a kick to a gut, and maybe they'll register that. Bang, kick him at the gut. Oh, they've registered that. Brilliant. Maybe they'll register a fucking forearm to the ear. Oh, shit, they've registered that. Brilliant. Right, let's bung them back into a headlock and get them to send me off and do a tackle. Oh, shit, I can't grab their head because they're wriggling around too much. Well, fucking hell, what am I going to do? All right, fair enough. I'll uh, I'll give them a fucking snap there, and I'll, 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 put them in a, I'll put them in a fucking hole for a little while. Oh, shit, right. Okay, right. So I'm going to call something. I'm going to send them off and say, take a clothesline. Oh, shit, they can do that. Brilliant. Okay, I'll cover them. One, two, right. Can you take a body slam? Okay, sweet. Body slam. You know, you just think of things on the fly, like, and then, you know, if, 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 it, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. It's very much a feeling out process, but it's also a learning process for them, you know, and that's why I always say to a lot of my guys, especially nowadays, um, whether they're experienced or, or not, I'm just going to call the start to your mate because at the end of the day, I know it sounds stupid, but it's going to be less stressful for you because we'll, we'll, we'll have to plan a finish because we got to fucking get a nice finish in. Um, and we're probably going to have to plan a little hot tag and whatnot. So you're going to have things to remember. Don't probably want to necessarily remember the start. Like me and you were going in first. We just got to warm the crowd up a little bit. PVC is going to do some cool shit anyway, so the it'll get the crowd up even higher. And then from there, then we might have a little bit of a chat from where we go on there. But what do you want the added pressure remembering a fucking huge start for? Do you know what I mean? Um, but still, even when you say that, they're fucking thinking, I'm going in the ring cold. Fuck. It's a double-edged sword, really, isn't it? Because you can go in there, and if there's yeah, first match, and you're like, right, we're going to do this, this, and this, and this, and then in their mind, they're like, cool, everything's planned, but you've sort of overloaded them, and then you go on the flip side, and you go, oh, we'll just do this, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out in there, and then that's that's on the other side of it. Like, it's so loose that 
they almost have no idea what to do, but then you don't want to give them too much to do because they won't remember everything. Like it's, it's a very difficult thing. And that's why we kept it so simple in a sense of like three lockups. And then on, on the third one, that's when we switch it. Like that's, that's the most basic thing you can do. And the, you know, when we were going through it in the back, it was like, they were going through it. It's like, oh, I do two lockups. And it's like, a wrestler, you don't need to tell people how many lockups you're going to do. Do you? you just go, oh, we'll just go and then figure it out. We'll do the first couple and then we'll figure it out from there. Like, But like a green person needs to know kind of almost for their own sort of own kind of confidence just to know, all right, I'm going to do two and it's going to be all right, one, you know, done it. Next one, two, done it. Okay, now something's going to swap. But, you know, the more experience you get, we could just call it in there and be like, oh, the first lockup, I want you to throw me off and then we'll just go from there. Like me and you could do that quite easily and get something decent from it and something probably unexpected. Whereas if you're so rigid and everything is by the by the number and by the T, like you, you can't, you don't have that flexibility to be, you know, almost ad lib and, and find out what comes from that because, those sometimes those are the best things, aren't they? Like where you just make something up and and something fun happens. Well, the thing is, like you know, the 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 way I look at it, um, you can't fuck up what you haven't planned. But I also know that in modern day wrestling, things need to build to a crescendo and need to be exciting. I'm aware, even in my uh, well, I'm quite set in my ways. I'm aware that you know shit has to be planned, and if especially if you're doing fucking, you know, big moves, and big high spots and things like that. You know, you need to get them right. They need to be in the right place. They need to be fucking done correctly and they need to make sense. And, you know, all that sort of good stuff need to be done safely and you need to know the person can take them. But when you, you know, when you're wrestling someone that you haven't wrestled before, if they're really good, if you know they're really good, then, you know, you can maybe take a chance. Like if you've seen them, seen footage and you know they're good, um, and you heard they're good and you've, you know, you spoke to people that you trust, you've wrestled them before and they're like, no, nah, this fucking guy's ace, like, you know, this will be cool as fuck. Then, you know, you, you can sort of, you know, talk to them and, and get them to offer their ideas as, as much as yours, you know. But when you're wrestling people who, who are inexperienced, it's fucking dangerous to go in there and do all that shit. Do you know what I mean? And not only that, it's, it's dangerous physically for you, you know, and it's dangerous um, to, to the match and to, and to the story of the match. So it, it is it is a very difficult, difficult dichotomy. You know, like, if you're wrestling someone inexperienced, like trick is, is to plan as little as you can. Go in there, lock up, feel them out. If they're really fucking rigid, you need to just try and loosen them up just by saying it. Do you know what I mean? Just loosen up, calm down. Sometimes they'll listen and sometimes they won't. Sometimes they'll loosen up for a second like because you've said that and then you're going to something else and they'll fucking tighten up again but just be calm with them loosen up buddy you know what i mean talk to them nicely don't be like loosen up your cunt you fucking asshole like i had back in the day do you know what i mean like you fucking fucking this is shit you've blown the spot you twat you fucking idiot fucking talk to people like that they panic more and then they fuck the next bit up you just sort of you know you just have to keep guiding people and guiding people and talking and talking and the more you do that, the, the more relaxed they're going to get. I always think someone's first few matches should just be based on listening to the crowd. Just, like, be aware of the crowd, you know. And, and you've heard me say that a million times in fucking training to the probably major sick. And also to the guys that when, when we wrestle them, you know, just be aware of the crowd. Don't forget they're there because we're not doing this for us. We're doing this for them. They paid to be entertained, so we need to entertain them. Now, the problem that we've got here is quite inexperienced, but we can cover that 
easily if you follow our lead. The way, the one way we can't follow that is if we fucking just throw ourselves in the deep end, you know, and put on something complicated and shit, or we can put on something simple that will work. And it sounds like in both those tag matches, but also in probably other matches that you've had. I mean, can you think of any examples of, of singles matches? I mean, you don't have to mention names, but any examples in sort of singles matches where you've wrestled people who, are, who have been greener than you and it's, it's sort of been a case of, you know, one-on-one singles leading someone through or, you know. Um, well, there's a few, obviously, sort of with the with the Falling Star Wrestling Academy, you know, you'd sometimes, before a wrestling show, you'd do those kind of, you know, exhibition academy matches where you'd have, you know, younger guys and girls in there and, you know, you want them to go out there and get a little bit of a taste of the crowd and you would always entrust people like myself and Furio because you know we can go out there and we're going to be nice with them. We're not going to manhandle them. We're not going to take advantage of them. We're going to give them a little bit, but we're not going to go too crazy in a sense of like do crazy running spots and strikes and stuff like that when they're, you know, they, they could only be 13, 14, 15, 16 years old and they're still green as anything. And they're, you know, just trying to get their first sort of step into the business. So, you know, there's been those things and yeah, a lot, a lot of those kind of guys, they do get a little bit sort of, not nervous, but yeah, they kind of freeze up when they're in the ring, and it's the it's the objective of the of the veteran of the more experienced person to just kind of get in there and calm them down and talk to them and just just have somebody be in there and be calm because you know myself and Fury we're not going to go in there and and shout at them and scream at them and tell them they're doing wrong. We're just going to go All right, just chill out for a bit, you know. Let's just let's just relax, grab a headlock, you know, chill out. Right, catch your breath. And then we'll go back up. You hit me with three strikes and then you hit the ropes and then you take a clothesline. You got that? And if they go, no, no, I didn't understand, you just cinch that headlock in again. You go down to the ground. You say, right, take another breath. You know, it's it's just that kind of, (laughs) you know, just making sure that everybody is is safe and and looked after and knows what they're doing. And yeah, you build from there. And that's their little bit of a foundation. They will eventually go on to have bigger and better matches. And, you know, they might remember spots down the line. But if, like you said, if you haven't planned loads, then you can't really go wrong. So I guess that's the art of wrestling a little bit, isn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, you're never going to have a, your best match with someone who's not wrestled before, you know, it's just not going to happen. Um, you're never going to have your most fulfilling matches. The trick is with wrestling, and this is why I fucking, you know, one of the main things I've learned, you know, and, and actually I've learned since tagging with you quite a lot as well. It's so much more enjoyable, whoever you're wrestling, whether we're having a fucking uh, wrestling match against the NLP or, you know, or whether we're wrestling two guys who've never wrestled before. It's so much fucking easier if you go out there with the intention to have fun. If you go out there as a wrestler with the intention to have fun and entertain, um, then the fucking match will work. Somehow it will work. It will get over. If you're not in that zone, it's just not going to work. And sometimes the crowd will come along with you. Like, I mean, I had fun at Swans on Morley. It was cool. The crowd were all right. They were as good as they could be. You know, they, they weren't a particular wrestling crowd. They didn't, you know, they didn't quite understand, I think, a lot of what was going on. But still, you know, fucking whatever, you know, you get you get the ones that you, you can chant in. You know, you come back, you know, you you did your sort of job and you come back and you just think, well, well, fuck it, I enjoyed it. And watching the match back, you sit there and think, yeah, well, there's things I can change, there's this and that, and we'll change it next time. The key to it 90% of the time is like if you enjoy it and you have fun 
and you work hard and obviously you've got a good story there whether it's a basic story or a more complex story with people that you've wrestled before as long as you go out there and 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 really enjoy it like the crowd do feel that emotion especially you know because we wrestle in sort of smaller venues it's so intimate the emotion that you give off really does fucking go out into that crowd so if you've got like a room packed with 200 people or in Westland like 100 people like that's just packed with 100 people in like it's rammed with 100 people in if you've got that many people in there um, it might as well be 2,000 because you can is the emotion is there and because they're right there looking at it and if they're right there looking at it so you look like you're having fun but by having fun you're putting you know you're giving off a vibe when you come out and you know you'll get a lot more reaction from it if you look like you're having fun and you're enjoying it that emotion travels out through 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 the crowd i've wrestled in some huge halls in front of thousands of people and it's a very different kind of reaction it's almost weird it's almost like being like i don't know so you almost sort of feel like hitler it's weird because like you know you sort of you sort, of, you sort of stand there and you do something and the crowd go bananas. But they go bananas in like a sort of like copycat way. So give me some noise and clap. And then you just hear this of about like, you know, a couple of thousand people or something like that. And it's, it's almost like overwhelming. And you think, fuck, it's easy. It's really easy. It's almost like, overwhelming sometimes to the point where you think to yourself fuck and then you, obviously you get into it and it's a good buzz and you you know you, you put on your match and stuff like that but it isn't intimate when you come back you think i've done a good job i've entertained the crowd and it was cool and whatever but you can't really see them like there's a spotlight on you and you know so you can only really see a couple of rows anyway and they're quite far back you know that there's thousands of people in there because you can hear them if you take a peek a little bit later on after you've wrestled, you can see there's thousands of people in there. When you're in the ring, it doesn't really matter. They're far away and you can't really make an emotional connection with them because you can't see them and there's too many of them. When when you're doing your um, showing out bits or you're doing your Healy bits, they're going along with it and they, you know, they're having fun and, you know, the kids really hate you or really love you or, whatever the deal is, whatever role you're playing at that particular time. But as a wrestler, it's weird because it doesn't feel quite as fulfilling because you can't see it. You can't see the product of your work. It's like painting a really good picture and then not being able to fucking look at it. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you know, I know I did a good job because I was painting it, but the minute I finished it and put my name on it, some bastard turned it around and took it away from me. Sometimes when it's a smaller crowd and it's really close up and it's intimate, you realise what effects you've had on people. And that's sort of, I think, sometimes how you learn, uh, like, the real true psychology, because you can see in people's eyes and you can see by people's body language how you're affecting them at that particular moment. You can see it because they're there. They're fucking an inch in front of you. So you can really see how you're affecting them. Now, that might mean there's only, you know, one, two, three hundred people in a venue. But it's really, really good for crowd psychology and getting into people's minds because you can see it you can see what you're doing to them you can see how you're affecting them by the story you're telling in front of a massive crowd 
where there's a guardrail and the closest person to you is like, you know, fucking four or five metres away and you can't really see them anyway. You you know that the work you're doing is, is good because they're loud, but it's all based on sound and you can learn psychology through sound. It's, you know, you know whether you're doing bad or well or indifferent, you know, you can work out how it's going. I'm thinking of the butlins things mainly, like when you do butlins, you know, say you're in fucking Minehead where you literally would get thousands of people in there. The, the ring would be set up, um, but they had all good lights and stuff and sometimes they had a bit of pyro and all that sort of kit. And it was cool and it was a really good place to, to learn and you'd be wrestling amazing people and blah, blah, blah and great heat and all that sort of stuff. It was, it was cool. It was really good. But you had the lights on you and obviously the crowd were blacked out, doled out because, you know, they wanted to, so they could see the, the the wrestling. But you couldn't really fucking see them. And and there's been other shows I've done, other big shows I've done where, you know, the crowd have been blacked out and you can't you can't really see them. And it, it's I mean, even even if you think of Lin Sport a little bit where we've blacked the crowd out, you can sort of see them and they know who we are and we've got the benefit of knowing probably because we've obviously got a little territory going. We've got the benefit of knowing a lot of the guys who are actually there and the style they like anyway, so we can work to it and you know and, and use our experience that way to put together a, a story and a show that they'd like. But you still can't really see them, can you? I mean, you can't really say that you can see the guy in the back space and see what you know who's at the top of the bleachers and see if he's enjoying it and what how he's feeling at the time, or is he is he along with the journey? Or do you know what I mean? Even in that show, you can't really see it. But in those small intimate shows. Um, that's where you really, really do learn to work. Like that's and, and no matter who the fuck you are, you know that's why people like fucking you know in the WWE like Nia Jax and you know and a lot of these fucking people like they they can't work because she learned a lot on the job, but she never learned. You, you could apart from the fact she was dangerous as fuck, you couldn't say she learned true psychology. Do you know what I mean? Like most of these people who start in the WWE, there's a few exceptions, but most of these people who start in the WWE, and especially now the guys who are starting up in NXT, they're wrestling in front of fucking huge crowds when they when they start. Like you know, especially people who start in NXT, and you know, if they get sports people or people that they like from other endeavors, and they've not wrestled before, and they get them straight in NXT. They can't get the psychology of it because they haven't wrestled in front of the small crowds. Now, people like Roman Reigns and all that sort of stuff and Seth Rollins and all these people who are really fucking big. Like Roman Reigns, he, he came into WWE straight away, but he came in when they were doing the FCW territory, which is really small. So he could probably learn a little bit of psychology through being up really close to, to fans, but really, really good fucking workers who can like really take you on a journey like, the Daniel Bryans and CM Punk's this world who are absolutely killing it in AEW or whatever. Those little subtle things they do, the psychology that, that they have, which is just so amazing. A lot of that comes from fucking slaving in front of small crowds, being up close and personal, um, and being able to see how people are reacting to your work. If you made a film and, you know, this was a test thing before you fucking brought it out, and you wanted to see what was good, what needed to be cut, what needed to stay in, you know, and you needed fucking whatever. So the audience fucking sat and watched it, and then they all immediately fucking walked out and didn't give you any feedback. 
well, you don't know what the fuck you've done. You might have created a masterpiece or you might have fucking created a load of dog shit. You don't know until you truly fucking get the opinion of the people. And the only way we really get the opinion of people is through being in that ring and looking in their fucking eyes whilst we're wrestling and seeing if they're with us and along for that journey. The guys who really get big, they need that. They need to be able to fucking see in people's eyes. And when you start wrestling in front of big people, in front of big crowds, you can't see that. You can only hear it. And, you know, that's great and that's awesome. And you know you're doing well if people are cheering for you. Um, but, you know, you need to wrestle in front of small crowds. I'm convinced. There are a few people who are fucking, you know, who are, who, who are exceptions to the rule because, you know, again, just total naturals like The Rock, you know, he just fucking came in and, you know, kicked us. But then again, when he fucking came out, you know, when he was green, people hated him. He needed to, he knew he needed to, to change his persona. So I suppose what I'm saying is, is like, as a wrestler, when you're in the ring and when you're performing in, you know, in front of crowds that, you know, reasonable sized crowds, but crowds that you can see and crowds that you can engage with, do you now, as someone who's been doing it now for, you know, 10 plus years, do you fucking look in these people's eyes and do you see whether it's working? And if it's not, do you change it? I mean, do you actually do that? Are you at that stage yet? I think yes and no. I think there's still always changes that you can make. Like for me, if it's a Falling Star Wrestling show and I know it's going to be easy, you know, you can just go in there and you can look at the crowd and you can put your fist up and say, what's my name? And you get a good reaction. Whereas like the people of Holt probably aren't quite as used to who I am as a character. Like a lot of people were there to see the Pitbulls, they were to see Brett and, and you know, Rashwood and, and CW and stuff like that. So they didn't necessarily know who I was. So I did a little bit of the, you know, put my hand up, what's my name stuff. But I thought that probably wasn't the way to go for that crowd because they weren't popping like a, a wrestling crowd would you know I, I would put my fist up and you know a few people would chant along a few people you know had a few uh, FSW kind of hardcore fans go to that show so they knew exactly who I was they knew what to chant when to chant and what I do but then after that I just kind of kept it regular kind of white meat baby face in a sense of I didn't you know, I'd just kind of show out, put my hands up and scream and yell and, you know, do the, the, the hulking up thing. So maybe in a sense, I, I did kind of look into the crowd and see what they were after because, yeah, they weren't necessarily familiar with my normal shtick. So I just do kind of a, something a little bit more generic. And yeah, at times you'd kind of like look over the ropes if you want a little bit more of sort of feedback and you'd, you'd catch a few people who are definitely into it and kind of look at them and, you know, see, see how they're reacting. You know, a lot of kids kind of react very positively to that as well. You know, if you, if you point them out or if you, you could look at them and try and get their, their sympathy or that, you know, their, their heat or that get them to scream and shout for you. So I guess, yes, but also I could be better maybe. Yeah. But what, what about when you're on the apron, you know, are you looking in people's eyes then to see like, cause when I'm, when I'm on the, when I'm doing tag work and I'm on the apron, I'll turn around and I'll look at the crowd and I'll see what they're looking at. And if they're looking at you and, you know, they're fucking shouting PVC and going crazy, I don't need to top that up. Do you know what I mean? I can I can obviously see and hear that they're with you. So I always turn around and check the crowd and see where they're at before I make my next chant or do my next bit of apron work because... I don't want to kill your heat because because sometimes you can do that. Like if they're already chanting PVC and really with you and really with the story and really with the heat, 
I can break that by going, come on, everybody, let's clap, come on. And I can break that because I'm taking the attention then of you onto me, breaking their fucking the, the line of concentration. And then the story doesn't flow quite as well because I've taken it upon myself to, with the best intention, do you know what I mean? I'm not thinking, look at me. I'm just trying to fucking see if we can get them louder, you know, but we don't need to. Like, they're on you, they're watching you. So I'll always look at the crowd, see where they are, and they're 100% totally with you, and everything's going fucking awesome. I don't really need to do a great deal. At the start, you normally tend to need to do a lot. Um, when the heat's going, you normally tend to need to do a fair bit because obviously the crowd are pissed off because the fucking heels are, heels are starting to win. And sometimes if if they, you know, if, if, if that's the case, the crowd can be a little bit dour. So they just need reminding that, you know, it's your support that's going to get them going. So, you know, you would start a fucking PVC chant then. But if they, if they don't need it, you don't give it to them. But... But I have to look and check and see, look in her eyes, see what they are. Fucking right. Okay, brilliant. They're, they're there. I don't need to do anything just now. Or actually, right, I do need to do something now. They've gone a little bit quiet. Or maybe I don't need to do anything now because this is the quiet time. This is the fucking time where we do need it to be a bit low because when fucking PVC does uh, eventually come back, that's when the fucking roof needs to be raised. And if for some reason the time isn't quite there and the roof isn't raised, I'll fucking raise it on the apron somehow. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, the peaks and drops. That's what I mean by fucking, like, being on the apron, turning around, being aware, you know, fucking looking at the crowd's eyes at that point. When you're selling as well, obviously looking in the crowd's eyes is hugely important, that eye contact, getting that sympathy, because, you know, with wrestling, sometimes people will see, like, a fucking a move and they'll think, what the fuck's just happened there? They won't really know who's hurt, so you have to show the crowd who's who's hurt or whatever. And that's and that's another thing that people do. Like this is what fucking I hate sometimes in with independent wrestling. Like when guys think they're selling, but they're not. They're registering. So what I mean by registering is if you gave me a power bomb, right, and then I sit up, hold my back, and cross my eyes and ride around on the floor. Okay. That's not selling. That's registering. And the reason that's registering is because at no point in that transaction have I thought about the crowd. I've just thought about the move and the way I think I should react to it. But if I take the power bomb, fucking bang, come up, sell it but look at the people as i'm fucking feeding around on the floor and look in their eyes and show them what agony i'm actually in how much pain you caused me with doing all the other stuff as well if i look in their eyes and fucking truly show them how much that hurts that takes the thing to a whole different level that's selling registering like when people take a canadian destroyer and come straight back up on their feet and cross their eyes and fall back down. That's registering. That isn't selling because the crowd don't really know what the fuck's gone on with a Canadian destroyer anyway. And when the person's got up and crossed their eyes and fallen down, sometimes people fucking laugh. They're like, uh -huh, fucking hell, you know. But if that person fucking held their neck afterwards and showed the crowd 
facially and with eye contact and with vocals and all that sort of shit, um, how much that move has truly fucking hurt and that's selling. So there's a difference between registering and selling. And um, and unfortunately, a lot of people think, uh, a huge amount of people, unfortunately, and even some of the top guys um, get mixed up with registering and, and selling. If you punch me in the face um, in a wrestling match and I take a bump, um, that's registering. If you punch me in the face and I drop to my feet, and hold my jaw, and again, do the whole eye contact thing that I was just talking about. Ow, motherfucker, you just punched me. That's selling, and there's there's a big difference. There, there, there there's a big difference, and like I say, a lot of that gets mixed up when we watch like WWE and we watch someone like fucking um, let's take big old Omas at the moment, right? Who's green, just goose shit. Everything he's doing at the moment looks like he's thinking about it and everything's extremely basic as it should be because he's green but he's obviously been told to be vocal and the only thing he can think to say is be, be more vocal I must be more vocal be more vocal when you're in there mate because at the moment you're not saying shit and you look you look mean but you're not being vocal okay boss okay so he goes out there this is my house and that's all he can think to say so he keeps saying it this is my house and you're like fuck's sake, shut up. After the hundredth time you've heard it, it becomes annoying. Again, he's keeping things basic, which he should be, but because he hasn't got the facials and he hasn't got the body movement and he's still extremely rigid, it's not entertaining to watch. If he was aiming people out and fucking looking like he was throwing them like a dart and fucking had the aggression in his face and then looked at the crowd and then fucking shouted with foam coming out of his mouth, this is my house, just once. The crowd would fucking come unhinged because he's actually interacting with them. At the moment, he's just going through the motions. And I'm not blaming him because he's green. I'm just looking at that as an example. Now you look at someone like my favourite wrestler, like Brock Lesnar. Now he doesn't sell very often. But when he fucking sells, obviously it's TV wrestling, so they sell more to the camera. But and the, the crowd would be able to see it on the big screen anyway. When he sells, he sells so fucking realistically. And, you know, because he's a big motherfucker, obviously it takes a lot to get him down. But he sells so realistically. His facials are there. The, the pain is there. He's looking at the camera. He's, he's foaming at the mouth. He's spitting. And when he's doing his moves as well, he's fucking so much intensity, so much gravitas to it that you can't help but be absolutely captivated by it. And like Roman Reigns at the moment as well, he's more relaxed and his selling's a hell of a lot better and just his work's a lot better. There's so much more gravitas to his work because he's truly connected with people. And unfortunately, Lesnar and, and Reigns in the WWE at the moment are the only fucking two people that really have maybe like Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch maybe at the moment because of their actual backstage rivalry. But that actually took a backstage fucking fallout for it to actually really make anyone care. Still, you watch them and, and they truly get it. AJ Styles truly gets it, but unfortunately he's, he's not in a position at the moment where they're making him a start. Randy Orton truly gets it. 
like you know they've got this connection with people um and it's obviously built up over time we were talking about when we were reviewing the shows the other day when Randy Orton was in that tag with uh, RK Bro against Usos or whatever and they would the crowd would just going mad for Randy Orton because he's a fucking star and he did the littlest in that match out of everyone um but when he snapped his fucking power slams and whatnot he just took his time to fucking he just looked so intense and he looked at the fucking crowd that he could see and he looked at the camera and then he fucking did his next bit and he, he took his time. He had a true connection with people when he was doing those moves and when he was taking those steps, you know, and that's the things that the other people aren't doing, which is the reason that they're good wrestlers and they're doing okay and it's all cool and it's all sweet, but they're just not stars. Now, I'm not saying fucking I'm a star or anything like that. I, I'm fucking not in any way, shape or form, but I know when I go out there and any any wrestling show, I normally get a fucking decent reaction because I I put my fucking theories into practice and they and they normally work. And again, you know, it's easier in FSW because they know who I am. It's more difficult when I go elsewhere because again, you know, they don't. But I still normally get a decent reaction and decent heat, or you know, whether it's a, as a heel or a baby face, because I try and put those things that I just mentioned in, into action. Does, does that sort of half make sense? Completely, yeah. Going back to what you said about the apron, like that's a thing that I've never really thought about, to be honest with you. Like when I'm on the apron, you know, as your tag team partner, I'm often looking in the ring to see what's going on. Obviously, I do use my other senses to figure out where the crowd is at. Like I use my ears if they're quiet and, you know, you need a little bit of help kind of getting that kind of heat back. I will chant and, you know, stomp and, and hit the hit the buckle and, you know, get people to chant for you. But I don't often look around to see where they're, where their focus is you know I'm not looking to see whether they're you know on their phones or whether they're looking in the ring you know whether they're glued to you thinking right you could probably get them back if you just you know if you start coming back or whatever and me not having to do that work for you I've not really looked at people so I think you know in the next match that we do have that'll be something that I'll be looking out for on the apron you know if you're in there getting your ass handed to you and I need to look around to see whether the crowd need that from me or whether I think that you can get that by yourself. And yeah, I guess that's sort of like small in intricacies of wrestling. It's it's things that you pick up as you go along and things you pick up as you advance down the road. And, you know, it's things if we can give these little lessons to to people in the business who are just coming in or, you know, had a first, first couple of matches and they're still trying to get their thing together. If they can look out for these tiny little nuances in selling and registering and crowd work and, you know, just showing out and just being in there and having fun, like, I think people can learn a lot, hopefully. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's all a thing in, in wrestling, isn't it? You just got to be on the road for as long as you can to, to pick up all of these little things and just put them into practice. Oh, fuck. As many matches as you can possibly have. But yeah, experience, experience, experience. Wrestle anywhere you can, in any, especially when you first start. Wrestle anywhere you can, in any venue you can, in front of as many diverse fa uh, fans as you can, in as many fucking countries as you can. Two things I want to I wanna mention, actually. If we're in a tag, right, and I fucking, I, you know, there's only so much the crowd can keep chanting, you know, you know, PVC, PVC, or, you know, fucking clap, clap, call, you know, cheat, 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 or whatever, you know, there's only, there's only so much fucking energy the crowd have, right? So if you're taking the heat and I think, oh shit, the crowd are a bit quiet, 
and I don't look at them and I start a PVC chart again, they're going to, they're probably going to do it. They're going to fucking go for it because they love you to pieces and I'll probably shout for it. Come on, he needs you. And bang, you know, they'll probably go into it. But if I turn around beforehand and eyes are glued on you, the fucking kids look like they're about to fucking cry because you're getting your ass kicked. The fucking adults have got their fists in their mouth, like fucking chewing on their fucking hands because, you know, they're waiting for you to fucking get a comeback or whatever. And like I say, they're glued to that. And I break that by going, PVC, PVC. And then it takes them out the reality of it and, and goes, oh, this is a pantomime, of course. Bang, 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 bang. But, you know, if you're getting your ass kicked and you fucking give them a dig and the crowd are like, yeah. And then I'm with them. I'm, I'm, I'm with them then. I'm like, yeah, come on. And you fucking give them another dig. Yeah, come on. And fucking bang, you give them another dig. Yeah, come on. You fly off the ropes. You fucking hit them. And we're like, yes. And whatever, like fucking, you know, like me and the crowd are together in unity then, which is a different thing to me trying to fucking lead them into something. So again, that's another difference. I'm in unity with them then, like, because I want you to win. And also, you know, every time you kick out, if they fucking jump up for joy, I jump up for joy because I want you to kick out. That's another thing as well. Like, that's another thing I fucking hate. Like, when you, you see tag teams and if, if you're getting the shit, shit kicked out of you, um, even though I might not get a fucking massive chant going because the crowd are with you, every time you get decked, I'm going to be sitting there looking concerned and fucking registering it and being like, fuck, come on. And I'll, I'll be doing the facial expressions and stuff. But if I don't need to fucking chime in with my voice and you've got the crowd, no fucking reason for it, really. But if the crowd are fucking dead and they do need the, a bit of a kick up the ass, I'll give them a kick up the ass. But that's only what I've really noticed with Abram work. Normally, I've noticed it from being in the ring and, but you know, and taking it from fucking like, okay, right, well, I'm in the ring and I, I'm I'm watching people and and getting the vibe off of the fucking match and getting the, you know, getting the vibe off of the story I'm telling. And, you know, so I know where I am and I exactly what to do now. These people are fully engaged with this. The selling's good, whatever, blah, blah, blah. So it's me one-on-one or whatever. And, I, and I've just worked on it that way. But actually, if you think about it, in a tag match, we are one. We're two, we're two people, but we're, we're, we're one, right? So if you're selling and you're fucking selling all really well and like i said the crowd are 100 with you and it's all fucking it's, go, it's going good then you know i don't need to in, inject any more fucking psychology into it because you've got it perfect you've got the match exactly where it needs to be and that's our match that's the match that's the fucking all four of us so we've got the match exactly where it needs to be all four of us you know that's fucking awesome so i don't need to fucking bully my way into that by you know shitting out a load of um you know unnecessary chance but sometimes i need to be on the apron constantly shouting pvc and you need to be on the uh apron constantly shouting ljs because the crowd aren't there like at swan and morley like we needed to be doing it constantly because if we didn't the crowd would have would have would have stopped they were watching the matches they were enjoying it they weren't really a fucking wrestling crowd you know so we needed to scream our fucking heads off and get as much energy to, into the match as we can. But for some matches, for a, a quite a few matches um, that we've had, we've not necessarily needed to do that because we've been in front of crowds that we know, you know. 
going away from that, just going slightly off topic very quickly. It's very interesting when you're wrestling um, in overseas because when I was over in France, it was me, Mike and Connor. It was when uh, Connor and Mike were doing uh, that unnatural disasters thing, you know, and I went along and wrestled a guy called Tristan Archer, who I think is now or was in NXT. I don't know if he is anymore. His, his name was changed, and I don't know what it was changed to. And I wouldn't recognise him now if I walked past him in the street. But he was a fucking really good worker. We went to this part of France, um, which wasn't a uh, you know a touristy area. It was quite weird, really. It was sort of in the back and beyond, but this huge sports centre, massive fucking place. There was a good sort of 1,500, 2,000 people in this place. I think actually Connor and Mike, the unnatural disasters, were tagging against the guy who owned the promotion and some other bloke. Um, And they were on last. And I was on like, I think I was on like third or fourth. Thing is, I was wrestling, um, even though he was Belgian, he was, I think he was sort of like, you know, pretending to be French for the purposes of the fact that we were in France. And I was, I came out with like a Union Jack and all that sort of shit. But this was in the middle of fucking, like, deep France. They d- didn't speak English. Like, these guys didn't know any English. Um, they didn't fucking understand the fucking word I was saying, which was great because I could swear. Um, but not that it mattered. It just made me feel good. They didn't understand it. In the match, it's like, when someone doesn't speak your language, you haven't got the vocabulary now to get the heat because that's gone. The fucking vocabulary bit's gone. They can tell you're angry, but they don't know what the fuck you're saying. It's like someone looking at you and going, shah, 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 shah. like fucking doesn't make any fucking sense. What's that cunt on? Do you know what I mean? He's mad. I just relied on two or three words that I knew that they would understand. Like, you know, fucking England and, you know, rely on a lot of physical gestures and the eye contact was hugely important. And, you know, and keeping things simple as well, because again, if I haven't got one of my fucking biggest tools in wrestling is my is my voice and vocabulary, and if I'm, that's taken away from me, I'm fucked. This Tristan Archer guy was a superb athlete, but we kept the match real simple. A because where we were on the card, but B because we just fucking knew that that we were fucked. So we used the flags a lot. Like I would constantly go to you know lock up with the guy I was wrestling, and then I back off and just grab the flag and walk around the ring with it, parade around and then put it down and then I'll go lock up with him again and then fuck it, I'm getting this flag, hey, England, you know, and then fucking whatever. And then Tristan Archer, fucking, we lock up, he, you know, he, he gives me a couple of fucking slams, gets the flag, wipes his ass with it and throws it out and all that sort of shit. Like, it was very visual and very, you know, it was like a, a mime. Obviously, I was, we were making noise and whatnot, but no one could understand what I was saying, but it was an in, it's an interesting experience wrestling abroad where they don't speak your language because again, it's another type of selling, it's another type of communication, it's another way that you have to tell your story because um, you can't tell it with words. And I know with wrestling we, we don't really tell stories with with stories with words a lot of the time, but you know cutting a promo before a match is a good way to get fucking heat in it or good way to get a shine if that's taken away from you you've only got a very basic story to tell really 
it was a very interesting experience wrestling in, in places where they don't understand your culture. You know, even in America, like where they do speak your language, but they don't understand your culture. Even that's tight, so slightly different. You got to attune to their weight, wavelength, and their way of thinking, and you know whatever. It's 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 so fucking crazy and odd and different and weird, and it's a, takes a long time. And like I say, the the amount of time I've been doing it, I am nowhere near wrestlers that you see on TV, and a lot of the wrestlers that are probably out there in the country now. But I really do think I get the psychology side of it, and that is why I think that. I can probably get away with doing a little bit less and probably not being quite as athletically gifted as a lot of the guys out there and not being as fucking muscular and all that sort of shit and as handsome or whatever and still sort of get the job done. I do get the psychology side of it. I understand how to get a crowd and take them on a journey. You know, even the past hour now when we were just talking about apron work, that's giving you something to think about. Do you know what I mean? So this ain't something that I picked up on fucking years and years ago because I really, I've never really been a tag team wrestler. I've been in tag teams, but not like now, like we are now, like where we're, we're probably going for it. It's only now that I've actually thought to myself, oh, fuck, yeah, like, you know, I've got the perfect opportunity now to scan the fucking room when I'm on the apron and see where people are. You know, it doesn't have to be just, you know, just clap because because it's time to clap, you know, it seems a little bit silent. Sometimes, like you like say in a match, you know, if people are fucking up all the time, then we fucked it for the next match, or we might have even fucked it for our match, you know what I mean? We might have a dead finish because they're all gassed, you know what I mean, from screaming constantly. So, you know, it's, it's, it's such a art form to tell that story and just winding back round on ourselves, you know, and just final thoughts, I suppose, for the, for the, for the podcast today, knowing what I know, knowing what, you know, people who are more experienced than me know when you're wrestling someone who's green, you have to take yourself back mentally to how you were on your first match. And you have to put yourself in that position and you have to go, right, how are we going to get through this physically and also by telling a simple story that the crowd are going to understand with the abilities that we've all, all four of us have got? And if you're the most experienced like you were the other day, that's a tough fucking challenge. So if you went in there and had a match that got over and went well, no matter how simple it was, and Ed too, he should pat himself on the fucking back, big style. If you went and did that and constructed that and it came off pretty well, then that's a fucking huge success and a big and a big step in your personal progression. Because next time you fucking do it, if you have to do it again, um, you know, which which you won't, but with for your personal progression, that's got to give you confidence to know that you can do that, right? Most definitely, yeah, because I sort of look back on the match and I sort of, I was going through it, going through the motions, thinking about it a lot. And then, yeah, just kind of thinking, I, I did all that. I, I made that happen. You know, obviously there's three other guys in the match there, plus me, plus the crowd, plus the referee, you know, everything went into it. But 
you know, I guided everybody through the match. I felt in control of the match. I felt like I knew where the match was going to go. And if needs be, I could have stepped in at any point and, and guided it and, and had to at certain points. And, you know, knowing that everything went well from, from A to B and then from B to C and then, you know, to the finish. And the job that was at hand got done in an effective manner. I can sit there and think, oh, I could have done a lot more. I could have done a, a much higher spot. We could have done a better finish. We could have done a better start. But like... For what it was, and it's a great foundation to to start from. And if we had to do it that again, you know, if if I had a time machine and went back and know what I know now and had to wrestle with Bobby Adams again against those two guys, you know, I would do very much the same again. Like there's not much I would change because I know that that formula works for that particular event, for those particular people involved in that match. So yeah, I, I guess, yeah. It feels weird. It feels a bit smug, but I guess I am quite proud of what we achieved on Saturday night. Yeah, and, you, and so you should be. And that's the thing in wrestling. I don't think in wrestling sometimes we we look back. It's not about ego. It's not about being smug. It's not about sitting there and going, you know, I'm better than you. It's just about looking at your own personal progression and being able to say to yourself, actually, I fucking didn't do that too bad tonight. I was put in a shitty position. My fucking tag team partner's fucked, so he's not here. I really didn't expect it. The fucking guys have got here late. Right, I know Ed. I know he's cool. I know he'll be able to fucking do whatever he needs to do. But still, we've got to fucking craft this. And I'm the one really left with the fucking, you know, I'm the one here really left with the task of doing this. If this match is shite... I know it takes fucking in the tag matches. There's there's four people in there. It takes four to tango. But if two of those guys have never wrestled before, it's not really their fault. Do you know what I mean? You can't blame it on them because they've they've been in there before. Like they don't fucking quite understand it. Or I know the other guy been in there once before. I know that. But you know, still two matches isn't much different to one. You, you, you might have a little bit more confidence, but still. You know, you've got two guys in there and you've got to make them look good. And if they don't look good, really, realistically, as a veteran, that sort of is your fault because that's your responsibility. You're the, you know, it's like you being a teacher at school and you've got a class of kids who are fucking willing to learn, but they're not learning anything because you're not fucking teaching them anything. You had to teach those lads, the, the importance of, you know, keeping it simple, the story. And but you had to craft that story also, put put their bits that they needed to do to get them over in in, in their particular fucking in order, um, you know, get it right, get the story right. Um, I'm sure Ed didn't really need too much fucking coaxing or whatever coaching, um, but still he probably doesn't feel like he's in a position to sit there and go, actually, no, why don't we do what, you know, I think you're wrong, PVC, let's do this, this, and this. Yeah, it, it falls on your shoulders. And it's a, I've been doing it for quite a while, so I don't really feel that way anymore. But I used to, you know, if, if you're in there with someone fucking green, I used to take it incredibly seriously to try and fucking keep them safe and get through a match that made sense. And it was always by keeping it basic and telling a story. And if you can get someone through that, it's fucking awesome that they managed to do well, follow the lead, hit their marks, hit their spots. But you directed that fucking performance because of your crowd work probably and the communication in the ring. They got it. So, you know, 
extremely well done. But, you know, you did it by following the fucking key rules and that's keeping it simple, you know, only doing what the guys can do and not being selfish, working out ways to make them look strong and keeping the story simple. And that's when you're wrestling someone green, that's the best you can do. And sometimes that doesn't even work. But if that doesn't even work, that's normally down to the fact that they just shouldn't be in the fucking ring. Um, and you can't account for that. You get put against who you put against, unfortunately. So, um, you know, sometimes that doesn't even work. I've been in the ring on, on, on occasion where I've wrestled someone who just, just should not be in the ring. They just have no business being near the fucking place. That wasn't the case for those lads. They need the, they need to get out there now. But for one of those guys, not only have you been the 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 first step, but you've been the second step on the on the rung to to wherever they go in their wrestling career. And you know, hopefully they'll fucking remember that. Do you know what I mean? Because I remember the guys that helped me. Um, so hopefully they'll 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 remember that that you helped them. You know, so it's a lot of responsibility, man. It's a lot of responsibility. It sounds like you did well. And I think on this podcast, you know, I think hopefully um, through my rants and, you know, the sort of questions and answers that we've been going back and forth on, hopefully the um, the people who listen um, will get an idea of maybe how to approach wrestling someone new and also, you know, the importance of um, that connection with the crowd and how important it is to get out in front of as many people as you can and uh, do as many shows as you can and just learn the difference between true connection with an audience and just registering pantomime type stuff. Wrestling psychology class is done for the day, and thank you for tuning in once again. We hope you enjoyed today's instalment of the Falling Star Wrestling podcast. There's one final chance to catch Falling Star Wrestling live in action this year. On Saturday, 11th of December, Falling Star Wrestling presents its yearly Christmas bash, and we can confirm that Jimmy and I, also known as the Disaster Artists, will square off one-on-one -on -one, one more time against the current Falling Star Wrestling Tag Team Champions, the Norfolk Legion of Pain, Mitch Basher and Crowley, the NLP. If you want to find out more about the Falling Star Wrestling podcast or contact us, we're available on Facebook and Instagram. It's at Falling Star Wrestling. We have news, announcements and events on there. And that's our first source for all things Falling Star Wrestling. I'm on Instagram and Facebook. It's at PVC Pro Wrestler. And if you wish, you can contact Jimmy on Facebook. He's at Jimmy Star Wrestler. Thanks again, folks. And we'll see you next time for another edition of the Falling Star Wrestling podcast. See you later. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, obviously, I ramble on. <laughs>